0: Time now for Carricker and Smallman, live from Canton for Isaac Bruce's introduction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame.
2: Brought to you by Schnucks and Twin Peaks.
0: 101 ESPN.
2: Into the corner, Isaac Bruce, touchdown Rams! First NFL touchdown for the rookie Isaac Bruce out of Memphis State. Miller, looking in zone, Bruce, touchdown! He blocks a punt, and one play later, finds himself all alone in the end zone. Tony Banks launches a miss. For Isaac Cruz, through to the 20, down to the 10, five. Touchdown! touchdown.
0: touchdown. Isaac Cruz, an 80-yard pass. Off the play fake, Warner firing downfield. the flag on the play. Isaac Cruz, touchdown.
2: Looking, throwing, touchdown. Isaac Bruce, his 1,000th career reception. It's a touchdown. Isaac Bruce with the 1,000th reception of his marvelous career in St. Louis.
3: Welcome to Canton, Ohio, brother. Congratulations. Thank you for all you've done for the game. We'll start over the Super Bowl and measuring for that bust and that gold
4: jacket and that ring and everything else. It's pretty special over Thank you. Amen.
5: Good morning everyone from Canton, Ohio, the site of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Isaac Bruce to be enshrined, inducted tomorrow night. And we are here in Canton, Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker on 101 ESPN at 701 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And Michelle, I know that you are thrilled, as am I, to be able to talk to Isaac Bruce today along with Dick Vermeil and various teammates of... The greatest receiver, with all due respect to everybody else, the greatest receiver in the history of St. Louis football, the Hall of Famer, Isaac Bruce.
6: It's going to be an unbelievable weekend celebrating Isaac. Randy, you and I have been going down memory lane over the past few days, just revisiting Isaac's career and the greatest show on turf. And. What a special time that was for St. Louis sports fans. And Isaac Bruce is one of those figures that is always going to stand at the top of the mountain for St. Louis sports fans. And it's going to be amazing to speak with him today and to celebrate him and his career.
5: And so we're thrilled that this is what we're going to be talking about today. (laughs) Isaac coming up at 7.15, Dick Vermeule at 7.30. At 8.30, we're going to talk to Kurt Warner. We'll have an early edition of the fight today, so another of Isaac's Hall of Fame teammates will join us. Ricky Prohl at the top of the 9 o'clock hour. We'll talk to former Rams president of football operations, Jay Zygmunt, who is heavily involved in the drafting of Isaac Bruce. He'll join us at 10. And then our friend... And another Isaac teammate, DeMarco Farr, will join us at 10.30. So a full day of coverage on character and Smallman of the Isaac Bruce induction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame.
6: We repeat, we are going to be smiling today and going down memory lane and revisiting an amazing chapter of St. Louis sports, which is probably a nice reprieve for some people who don't want to talk about the current state of St. Louis sports, Randy.
5: Yeah, the current state leaves something to be desired, and obviously last night was one of the really bad nights of a season in which there have been a lot of bad nights for the St. Louis Cardinals as they fell. If you went to bed thinking, oh, this is pretty good, we're in pretty good shape, because we do that a lot, we think, okay, things are pretty good with the Cardinals. Well, well, don't go to bed before the ninth inning anymore. Last night, top of the eighth, Atlanta scores six to negate a Cardinals' 4-2 lead, and the Braves win it by a score of 8-4, to and then if you look, Michelle, at the way it all unfolded. Austin Riley hits a two run homer to tie the game at four, scores Freddie Freeman. And then, with the bases loaded, Adrianza walks, Vote walks, Albies walks, Soler walks. So the game went from four to four. To 8 to 4 in favor of Atlanta with four consecutive bases loaded walks. Unbelievable, unacceptable, and amazing that that would happen to a major league team.
6: But hasn't that been the story all year? It the, has. the Cardinals and the walks? It's been something that has been a self inflicted wound that keeps happening over and over again. We've talked about the inefficiencies that the offense has experienced that time ad nauseum, but the walks have been a real problem, and I don't know what the Cardinals are going to do to remedy this, but it's something that needs to be fixed.
5: One of the things that you run into when you have that many walks, one of the reasons would seem to be that it's a mental issue, and we've talked to Adam Wainwright about that. Normally, if you're good enough, talented enough, to make it to the major leagues, you have a level of control. You you, you know where the ball is going. The fact that this could happen to so many Cardinal pitchers, on such a regular basis, and the Cardinals will blow away their old record for walks in a season, it really brings into question the information that those guys are getting. Not that it's easy to throw a strike by any stretch of the imagination. It is not. And you can't just teach a guy to throw strikes. I'm just saying that if these guys are talented, Alex Reyes, Giovanni Giovanni Gallegos, and we've seen it with Cabrera and the starting pitchers, if they're talented enough enough to be at the major league level – then they should be able to throw strikes on a reasonably regular basis. There's no way that four consecutive batters should walk with the bases loaded in any scenario.
6: Absolutely not. Cardinals pitchers, Randy, have walked 26 batters with the bases loaded loaded this year. No other team has more than 13. The Rangers are next with 13. So
5: you're telling me the Cardinals are dominant.
6: They're number one in something. <laughs> They're number one in something.
5: And what's a shame is they did have the 4-2 lead, and you're thinking, okay, this is going to be pretty good. They, they'll be able to avoid the sweep to Atlanta. And there were some good things early on. Kisner hits a home run. Arenado appears to be getting hot. Uh, Tyler O'Neal uh, is able to use his speed and score on a pass ball. Goldie is hot with an RBI hit. All those things were wasted. All of that good stuff was wasted. And by the way, another good start from Wade LeBlanc. Six innings, two earned runs. He allows only three hits. He strikes out one and walks three. But it's remarkable to me that so many good performances can go by the wayside when the Cardinals do what they did last night. And Gallegos just might be gassed. He goes Mm -hmm. two-thirds of an inning, and he he just didn't have it. He got hammered with three hits, and then Reyes with four walks in – And he didn't get it out. So that tells me that those guys probably right now physically are beyond where they can effectively pitch.
6: We keep looking at the schedule and we keep crunching the numbers and we keep trying to find... Hope or at least a glimmer of hope that the Cardinals are going to make this interesting and can maybe make a push. They're 11 and a half games out Mm -hmm. in the division. They're eight games out in the wild card right now. And we kept looking at the schedule thinking this is a time when the Cardinals, if they're going to make that push, they have a window here. They have a stretch of games versus teams they should be able to go out and collect some wins against. And when you go out and you get swept by the Braves. I don't, I don't know what to expect from them from here on out. Because you hear Nolan Arenado talking post-game two nights ago about how they understand that they're running out of games and that they need to turn things around and there needs to be a stretch here where they go out and feast and it just seems like they get a little bit... They take one step forward and then they take seemingly two steps backwards.
5: I would be inclined at this stage, 53 and 55, to just see what some young players can do. I th- I believe that most people who observe this club on a daily basis believe that Tommy Edmund has become, he's shown himself to be a really nice utility player, probably not an everyday second baseman. So move him around, let him play second, third, short, let him become that utility guy, uh, for lack of a better term, a poor man's goal, uh, Ben Zobrist. Find out what Edmundo Sosa can do, because I think we have kind of found out what, Paul Paul DeYoung can do. Kisner played last night. Find out what Andrew Kisner can do and find out how mad Yachty gets when Kisner plays. There are valuable things to take out of the rest of the season even though you know that you aren't going to win.
6: Is that the approach they're going to take, though? That's what we're saying right now that we think that they should do, but do you really think at this point on August 6th that they're ready to say, let's give Kisner a run?
5: No, they... and. They aren't, and the players still aren't dealing in reality. And you don't want to have, especially when you have the situation that you have with Arenado, you don't want to have him believe that you're doing anything but trying your best to win every single day. But they aren't going to win every single day. That's the reality of the situation. The pitching isn't good enough for this team to win every day, and that's what they have to deal with, is pacifying those players that do want to win every day and still think they have a chance because they really aren't hey, they don't pay as close attention as we do to reality, okay? They think, oh, we're going to get hot. They, th- they think that in that clubhouse. They, th- they think we're pretty good, but they aren't. So they don't understand that like we do. And so you do have to work around w- what their reality is and what reality is.
6: It's an interesting line to walk because – you do want to have one eye towards the future and see what you've got and take a realist approach to it. But I also don't want to watch a team that's given up, that's waving the white yeah. flag in early August or rolling over and saying, well, let's look towards the next season. Because that's still the same collection of guys that you're basically going to have next year, barring a move or two. And I want a team that fights till the end. So it's it's going to be a tough situation for them to be in because you certainly don't want to burn guys out and you certainly do want to make sure that if you're not going to win that you get a sample size of some guys for the next season but you also don't want a bunch of quitters i don't i don't know about you but i don't want to watch a group of guys that has quit and i don't think this team is going to do that i don't think that they're professionals they don't have that mental makeup
5: and one of the nice things about this and we're we're going to get to isaac in just a moment but I, i want to point this out is that i think you can reasonably tell everybody hey we're giving ourselves the best chance to win by playing Sosa over DeYoung. At, at this stage, I really think that Sosa does give them a better chance to win than Paul DeYoung does if you play him every day.
6: It's not a bad option. It's not, you certainly want to see what you have with him, no?
5: It's a good option. That's Michelle, I'm Randy, and we are getting ready for the Hall of Fame. Tomorrow, the induction, and Isaac Bruce is going to be inducted. He will join us next on Character and Smallman from Canton, brought to you by Schnucks and Twin Peaks. And Isaac is next on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Character
0: and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Warner, quarterback,
2: fires up the middle, a pass is caught to Isaac, he's living, and he's gone.
5: Isaac Bruce brought us so many great moments on and off the field in St. Louis as one of the great members of the St. Louis Rams and the greatest show on turf, character and Smallman. And Isaac joins us now as he prepares for a huge weekend in his life, and he's on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Isaac, congratulations on making it to the Hall of Fame, and I know this is a busy time for you yesterday, today, tomorrow. are going to be super busy, so Michelle and I appreciate you taking some time with us. How are you doing?
1: Hey, Randy, Michelle, how you guys doing? I'm doing well, man. Um, it's busy, but I'm enjoying every minute of it.
5: Hey, I, you've told us ever since late in your career or when you retired that you're a Hall of Famer. You truly yes. believe that. Now you are a Hall of Famer. So with everything that's going on around you and with as, as fast and furious as things are going this week, does this feel like something that just should be happening?
1: It does. I mean, uh, Randy, I was a big fan of... Uh, uh, Barry Sanders growing up, um, you know, every time he scored a touchdown, he got in the end zone. He acted as if he uh, expected to be there. I mean, I, would say, I, I think situations in my life and a lot of our lives are very similar. We have these dreams on the inside of us initially, and that dream starts to grow. It, get, it grows so big that we start telling other people about it. And uh, by the time it it it, uh, it 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 comes to manifestation, a lot of people around you are surprised, but it's surprise for you. And the thrill for you happened when that dream was placed on the inside of you.
6: Isaac, we know that you're one of the all-time greats. We watched it with our own eyes, and now you're being honored as, as such. And I was talking with Randy about this last night, and so many of, of the all-time greats have something that's a big motivating factor for them, something that keeps them pushing throughout the years. Was there something for you that when practice got long or when things got tough that was always a motivating factor for you?
1: well well motivation was good for me um i thank god that he gave me the ability to be a self motivator but i didn't depend on the motivation part of it but more the discipline uh just having the discipline knowing that i had that uh so when it got <laughs> 10 degrees in st louis when it, when it was uh 95 degrees plus immunity in st louis um the discipline said go ahead and do your job uh you got people depending on you teammates who are counting on you uh coaches who are also here uh, you know, do what they do as a profession. So the discipline got me out of the room, got me out of the bed, it got me out of the cotton sheets, the silk sheets, the satin sheets, and 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 continues to do the same thing today.
5: And I think you come from a great family, and your mom, I'm sure, instilled a lot of that discipline and. You have a big family, and your brother is actually going to be one of your co-presenters tomorrow night. Yes. How much of a thrill is it for you that you'll be able to do this with your family, with much of your family around?
1: Randy, it, this is what it's about, man. Uh, these moments where we can uh, create memories, especially with those who, uh, you know, grew up in the same household as you, uh, already share memories with you from our, from our parents, uh, to uh, sharing even more moments like this, man. this is This is special. And uh, just to have my family in town, in tow, and to be a part of it, man. Amen. I mean, it, it gets better than this, and I'm waiting to see it.
6: Isaac, as you sat down to write your speech, I'm sure you were reflecting on the long road that got you here and reflecting on your early football life. Do you remember your first football game or one of the first times that you played when you were young and you thought, I love this and I'm really good at it?
1: That would happen to be right in front of my house in the streets, uh, just playing a pickup game of football. And I enjoyed it so much. Um, you know, I was consumed by football as a child, uh, you know, being a Miami Dolphin fan and, you know, everything I did was to be rewarded to be able to watch the game on Sunday. So, um, being in South Florida and just growing up around football, I have very early members of uh, playing football and, uh, and they're there to this day a lot of those people who were there on that very street with me are going to be here in Canton with me celebrating. I'm excited about it.
5: The Hall of Famer, Isaac Bruce with Carrick and Smallman on 101 ESPN. And Isaac, you mentioned a couple of weeks ago in your Zoom for the Hall of Fame that you really thought about the NFL later than most kids. I know you you thought about playing in the NFL, but it became a reality for you pretty late, relatively speaking, right?
1: Uh, that's, that's, That's almost accurate. I mean, I felt like um, I, I enjoyed the game. I loved the game. Um, I really wasn't sure that you could you could be a professional playing football. I know they played on television, but as far as getting paid to play play this game that I love, you know, I found that out very late, and it was and I was excited about it. So, um, you know, guys like Mark Clayton, guys like Mark Duper, who I watched every Sunday play football and uh, tear it up inside out, and, and not be labeled as a slot receiver or just outside guy. I watched those guys, never knowing they got paid to do what they did, and uh, it was a joy to me.
6: <clears throat> Isaac, you've had such an incredible career in totality, but of course, we always look back to the greatest show on turf. How much Correct. will it mean to you to not only become a Hall of Famer, but have so many of your brothers on that team also have this <laughs> honor of being Hall of Famers?
1: Yeah, I think it's sweet. I think it's sweet. Um uh, mixed emotions about it sometimes because I sit back and I think, man, we got all these Hall of Famers. We should have had at least four Super Bowls. And, uh, and, uh, but then again, you know, I think about just being able to be in the huddle with these guys, these selfless guys uh, who are great talents uh, would move a mountain for you. Uh, some of them could move that mountain and just, just being, just being around them from on a day-to-day basis for as long as I I was and just share memories, share moments, uh, teams on, uh, Moments on on charter flights, on buses, and just being around those guys, man. It was a complete joy.
5: And Isaac, if you are a mountain like Orlando Pace, you can move a mountain, (laughs) right? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Seen him do it.
6: (laughs) Isaac, you've always been so talented, but everyone has challenges in their life. When you look back on your career, What's a really big obstacle that you had to overcome? Was it an injury when you dealt with the hamstrings or was it something else?
1: Yeah, it, it was that. Uh, really, you know, the main part is just always uh, uh, either being talked out of my identity or uh, taking a second thought from, uh, from, from the vision that was before me. So for me, that was the biggest challenge. I always felt like that if you, if you remain and keep your identity, it'll, it will always affect circumstances and situations and challenges that come in your life and we shouldn't we should never let it let the challenges and situations and circumstances in our life affect that identity but allow that identity to affect those things so that was the biggest challenge for me it you know it remains one of the biggest challenges for me right now and i think it's always important that um, not only myself but others get that vision hold fast to that vision and watch it come to pass
5: for them and isaac we know you very well, and we know that your identity is bigger than football. But if you could put your identity into words for us, what would it be? <laughs> oh, man.
1: It'd be one word, and that word is what I teach my children, which is covenant man. I'm a covenant man. I have covenant rights. I have covenant children who have covenant rights. And uh, that's that's one word that you, you will hear and see posted in my house. Uh, if you ever – if, we, if you ever had, if I ever had the privilege of you walking into my house, that word covenant is what you would see.
6: Isaac, have you um, timed yourself for the speech? Because you know that's a big part of this weekend is the speech. <laughs> have you practiced it, or are you just going to go up there and and hope for the best?
1: Yeah, I tell you what, I haven't had, uh, I haven't seen much pressure going around as far as time is concerned since I was in Indianapolis at the combine. And people talking about running a 40. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I haven't timed it. Um, I trust and believe that it, it'll go well. Um, it'll be impactful, influential, and I'll be, I have a more than, I have more than enough time. I'll say that.
5: And Isaac, it is so cool. We're around the hotel here seeing so many St. Louis people. We flew in from St. Louis last night with with so many people that are coming to see you be enshrined into the Hall of Fame. And I know you're going to mention St. Louis tomorrow, but you have brought a community together. And it's not easy for an individual to do that. But you'll hear it tomorrow when you take to the the podium and you hear bruise. Yes, sir. And and I know you're obviously you 're very humble, but at the same time it 's got to, you and your teammates really brought a community together, and you still are bringing a community together so uh, I, I want your reaction to that, but I want to congratulate yes. you on that too
1: oh absolutely um, you know i 've been seeing pictures of uh, St Louis airport uh, <laughs> with the St. Louis fanatics coming to town, and i 'm very grateful for it and i want I want to hear them loud and clear. I know it'll be a low rumble, which is what I expect, and uh just make themselves uh, known that they're here, that they're, that they're a great group of fans that housed my team for 21 great years. And, uh, it, it's wonderful. Uh, you say just adding and pulling everybody together in a community. Um, I felt like it was our duty, Randy. Um, just to follow in the footsteps of the great Ozzy Smith, other great, uh, St. Louis icons who came before us to stand on their shoulders and, uh, just galvanize the community the way we did. We had our opportunity to do that. And I feel like the next time it starts to happen, it'll be greater.
5: Yeah, and you're galvanizing St. Louis still today. We are so excited for you, Isaac, and we can't wait to see you. And this is going to be an awesome weekend. Congratulations. Have fun with it. Slow it down. You always did that. I know as a player, you have to slow it down as a Hall of Famer today, right?
1: Yes, sir. I plan on doing that. And uh, thank you guys for coming. Uh, Thanks for uh, having me on the show, man, so many times, uh, promoting my events, my foundation. Um, Very grateful to St. Louis, St. Louis Media. You're always fair to me, which is, uh,
7: which is
1: so nice. so thank you guys for, um, love you guys, man. And, uh,
2: talk to you soon.
5: Isaac, we love you. Thank you very much. And, uh, we will see you tomorrow. That is the Hall of Famer, Isaac Bruce on 101 ESPN. And we're going to talk to Dick Vermeil here in just one second after a commercial, but I, I, uh, you didn't get a chance to hear that. Uh, Isaac was just brought to tears. Oh really? We're talking about St. Louis, yeah. Oh, good for him. Yeah.
8: Well, <laughs> he brought a lot of passion to the game in
5: St. Louis. Yeah, he's one of the best and uh coach Vermeil, one of the best and he will join us next here from the Hall of Fame, character and Smallman on 101 ESPN.
0: We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
1: It was uh, called Twins Right, Ace Right, 999H Balloons. You know what, let's take a shot to Isaac right here and see what happens.
2: Warner to throw. Going deep downfield, adjusting for it is
1: Isaac Bruce. I never lost it. I seen it leave Kurt's hand, and um, yeah, I seen it come through the smoke. The halftime smoke was still just like right over the, the playing field. But I seen it come through the smoke. Deep in the back, he never saw the ball. He was kind of really just playing my body movement. You know how we do. We uh, we try to look for any little key, any kind of body language that will give us a key to try to make a play. Once he felt me slow up, I was able to push him past, which kind of knocked him off balance. And, man, I just went up and grabbed that four. Balls and all I knew was just run. run, just <laughs> run.
0: And Isaac
2: Cruz threads his way for a touchdown.
5: That's what happened. Great to have you with us in Canton, and we are joined by the coach of the Super Bowl 34 champions, Dick Vermeel, Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, and coach. It's great to have you with us. Thanks for stopping by. Oh, God,
8: it's always great to be with you, you know, which sh- shares a number of fun shows.
5: Yeah, we sure have. And uh, Let's talk about that play that happened like right in front of you. What, what are your strongest memories of that particular play?
8: About forty seconds before it happened, or a play before it happened, I am talking to Mike, and I said, "Mike, I am lined right up here in the sideline, and this corner's only five or six yards off Isaac, and I don't see any safety. I don't think he can beat. He I can give him, give, go after him, and he did. He went nine ninety nine as he said, and you know, there it goes. And I saw it happen, you know, and then I, but I also saw Kurt going down so I was like this and I I wasn't sure what was going to happen down in
5: that end (laughs) Mm -hmm. and and obviously a great adjustment by a great football player I want to go back to the beginning though because there's people now that are driving down the road and they don't remember 97 and 98 and your start with Isaac wasn't all roses was it
8: wasn't roses with anybody (laughs) they had never worked like we worked and that wasn't Isaac's complete Isaac had hamstring problems Mm -hmm. you know he only played five games the year before so him coming into the '99 season, I have two first round picks now playing. I have uh, Isaac Brooks back healthy playing, Torrey Holt a first round pick playing, you know, Marshall Folk a first round pick playing. God. I have uh, uh, Mike Martz first round pick coach <laughs> coaching, <laughs> Al Saunders first round pick coach coaching. I mind and John Mac, you know, Masco and Dana Leduc. I had about six or seven first round picks that all of a sudden, you know, and I think they all really capitalized. And Mike put it nicely a few times i've heard him say you know the table was set mm-hmm. let's go let's go serve the meal and uh, no one did it any better than mike did
6: was there ever a time that mike would present a play to you and you thought that's just too crazy because we know he he came up with so many brilliant things but were you ever like i don't know if this no. one's gonna work
8: <laughs> no uh, not at all you know uh, uh, you see more crazy things in the game today than you saw on that offense at that time there are you know not many fluke type plays there. Are, well-designed, a scheme that uh, I was familiar with. I, I started in that scheme uh, myself at the Ram. It's, I mean, at the Eagles a long time ago. You know, this, the mechanics derived from Don Coriel schemes, the number systems and all that kind of stuff. And I was close to that system because Rod Dowhower came from San Diego State and Don Coriel with me to UC, to UCLA's. Uh-huh. So I was familiar with it. And then... Uh, I stayed with it myself and grew. And then I'm out of coaching for 14 years, and I come back. And, and Jerry Rome was my first offensive coordinator. He came out of the same scheme. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when Mike took over, it wasn't a, uh, a startling change. It was a, a lot of brilliant changes, and we had a lot more talent. And we had ch- changed up how we were practicing a little bit. We took a little heat off them because we had really pushed them the first two years. And uh, uh, probably lot left some effort, some uh, on the field practice field mm-hmm. uh, but it all paid off that third year
5: how difficult was that for you because you were you did three a days in philadelphia right mm. you, you not
8: really no but they were <laughs> long practices <so> <laughs> but, uh, them so, all day
5: so that, that was your nature though was yeah. to 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 work them hard to to pull back a little bit was that hard for you
8: Ah, uh, you know, a, a little bit. You know, my confidence level, I never wanted to get in a position where I was trying to outsmart somebody. But I always felt we could outwork them. You don't outsmart Tom Landry and those kind of people, George Allens and Don Shulas and Bud Grants at that vintage. You know, George, you know, you just didn't. But I felt young, uh, you know, younger, maybe more a little more intense and enthusiastic, a little passionate at that age. Maybe by working hard, we could catch up. Because at the Eagles, we didn't have a first or second or third round pick. The first two years, we didn't have a first and second, the third year. So the only way we were going to get better is develop those people we had on the field. And to do that, uh, you had to stay on the field. So I didn't do it the old-fashioned pro football way, which I had worked in pro football with, you know, three different head coaches. So I knew how they normally did it. Uh We just did it. We decided after we got going, we couldn't do it that way. And so we just, just uh, decided to, to work a lot harder and longer.
5: I remember watching the precision with which Al Saunders had your guys, your wide receivers go through drills, Isaac, Torrey, Oz, yeah. Ricky, uh, Tony Horn. And those guys really bought in, didn't mm-hmm. they? That group yeah. of receivers really bought into trying to be perfect. Yeah.
8: Well, Al Saunders is a perfect football coach. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a hall of fame assistant coach like Mike March is, you know, and, uh, I had so many great people with me, but, uh, Al Saunders is very special, and I've, I knew him for a long time. I watched him in many, many training camps at the Chiefs because I did broadcast their preseason games. So I'd always go to training camp for four or five days and really get caught up and watch Al coach. And he's a San Jose State alum. I'm a San Jose State, State. alum. So we've been friends forever. And, uh, yeah, there's no better football coach. And that's he did a great job. He did. He was my Mark Martz at, in Kansas City. Right,
5: yeah. yeah. Dick Vermeil is with us, character and Smallman from Canton on 101 ESPN. And, Coach, let's go back to that 49er week. The Rams had lost to the 49ers 17 times in a row. Isaac mm-hmm. had lost to them eight times in a row. And especially that group that had come from L.A. It was DeMarco. It was Isaac. It was Jay Williams. It was Keith Lyle. It was Todd Light. They were kind of tired of losing to the 49ers, and they knew they had a great chance to beat them that mm-hmm. week, right? Right.
8: Yeah, well, you know, we knew – Going into the season, we were going to be a good football team. We didn't know we were going to be a great football team. But once we got going and and Kurt did what he did, you know, no quarterback in the history of the league has ever done what Kurt did those first five weeks of the season. You can look at any stats you want. No one has ever done that. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, in that 49er game, you know, at the end of the first quarter, we're up 21 to nothing. And he's got
5: all your touchdowns. <laughs> all your touchdowns,
8: yeah. And I, I, I can remember saying to Jam- Jim Hennepin, God bless Jim Jim Hennepin. Uh, uh, when Kurt threw that third pass, I said, Jim, this kid can play. <laughs> Just like that. That exact same terms. And it's on one of the highlight films that I've seen a few yeah. times. So, you know, that from then, and I can remember that Monday, and I've told this story many times, it's a truth, going into the squad meeting. Because I always took the meeting initially as a team on, on Monday and uh, I, I said, you know something, guys, you played extremely well. And I, I want you to know something. There's only one team in the National Football League that can beat this football team. And fortunately for us, they're all sitting in this room. <laughs> and if we do what we have the ability to do in this room, maintain the same focus, our work ethic, our concentration, don't get arrogant, you know, don't become play. play we'll win it all. It's exact, But I said, I don't want to hear this on radio. I don't want to see it in the newspaper or in a magazine. And I don't think anyone ever repeated it. No. The, the we, that's how I've never been more confident of a football team than at that time.
6: How much pressure did you feel heading into that season? Because you, haven't, you hadn't had the success that you had hoped heading into that. You knew that you had this great collection of talent and that you guys could be really good. Were you thinking about the pressure?
8: You know, not really. I think football coaches expect to get fired. You know, coming into this season, there have been 494 coaches in the National Football League that carried the title head football coach. That includes the guys that uh, were interim coaches, so it's a little distorted. 29.8% of them fired after the first year. So, you you know, you go into coaching, you know, probably not going to last. And, uh, you know, I, I wasn't thinking that. I just knew. In fact, I told John Shaw. In the offseason before going to camp, I brought him in, put him in the offensive staff room, and showed him some video. I said, this is going to be a good football team. John says, uh, Coach, I don't want to hear that. I've been told that so many times. (laughs) But, you know, when you've seen it, done it, been there, and I watched this team go, and I listened to their bitches and moanings and all the sarcastic remarks, uh, uh, absorbed the criticism, I just felt this was going to be a good football team. No way you could predict at that time you're going to be a world champion, but we were going to be a tough football team to beat because they were mentally and physically tougher than most teams we played because they, no one was
5: working like we were working at that time. And coach, one of the one of the things that seared into my brain and it will be for the rest of my life is Isaac pounding on the turf right on top of the Rams logo at midfield when Trent Green went. I can down.
8: remember it. I visualize that every once in a while. I yep. see it. Yeah. When I think sometimes I mention Isaac Bruce in my own mind, just driving somewhere, and I'll see that scene. Hey, I felt just as bad. I felt just as bad, uh, selfishly for the team and uh, and independently. I felt so bad for Trent Green. Yeah, you talk about, and I I know him better today. Okay, I probably know him as well or or better than any player I've ever coached. Okay, because we've maintained a lifelong relationship since that time, and uh, I just. How he handled that was unbelievable. That's, hey, we gave up a first-round pick to bring him to Kansas City. So, right. So I loved it.
5: But okay. he, he was, here's a guy, and we had a guy that uh, was in St. Louis, Pat Maroon, grew up in St. Louis, scored a huge goal to move the Blues on in the playoffs, and he, he's a huge part of the Blues winning a Stanley Cup. That's what Trent Green could have been in St. Louis. He, he could have been the hometown hero oh, no and question. missed that opportunity.
8: Yeah. But, you know, people ask me all the time, what do you, how good do you think you would have been uh, if it had been Trent as quarterback? I know he wouldn't be Kurt Warner. They're different. They're different. But I have such confidence in Mike Martz and Al Saunders and Jim Anif and, and a little bit myself that we would have taken advantage of the things that he could do, maybe a little better than Kurt. You know, but uh, there's only one Kurt Warner throw in the football. You know, there was only one of those. And Trent wasn't far off it. And there were certain things he could really do well. And I, I we might have run the ball a little bit more. You know, you never know. But I, I felt we would have been every bit as successful.
6: There's obviously so much talent on that team. But it's amazing as we visit with so many members of the Greatest Show on turf, what great people they are. Is that something that you cared about or were conscious of when you were assembling the team, that you wanted to have somebody that had a certain mentality in addition to the skill set?
8: Definitely. Definitely, definitely. Okay, I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist. But, you know, having had the opportunity to coach high school football, junior college football, college football, then in the NFL, I knew what I wanted. I knew I had seen so many different kinds of profiles with athletic athletic talent not reach their maximum, not, not really reach their potential. And one of the reasons were they weren't. Uh, They didn't have the mindset it would take for them to become what they had the ability to be. So I, I tried to put that combination in my evaluation all the time. And at the Rams, how could you have a better personnel department? Hey, you know, Charlie Army, John Becker, those guys work. Nobody in the history that I've ever been around the league had a better system of evaluating college prospects than Charlie Armer and John Becker working together. Carol, my wife used to come in and sit in in the back of the room and listen to the explanations on the board. She says, I think I could make the draft correct after listening to all this and and stay in discipline to your preparations. Don't get all of a sudden you know, go off the board. Uh, Charlie was amazing.
5: And Dick... (laughs) Ann Morgan, who worked the front desk forever oh, at, uh, at Rams Park, I was talking to her, her a couple of weeks ago, and she said, "You know, there were some guys over the many years that she was there that you worry about what they're going to, what's going to happen with them after they're done." But I never worried about the guys from that era, and they've all succeeded. Oh, and yeah. and that's part of the plan, isn't it? Well, they, they've done. You know, we, they've all had issues. Have, yeah, I yeah.
8: had my issues. You know, we all have. But uh, no, they were. Uh, and what's really fun is to see them when they're all together like we're going to see them uh-huh. this week. There'll be a number of them here, I'm sure. And uh, it'll be fun to see them together. You know, if they get me around a table over a beer late at <laughs> night, the first thing they talk about is those first two years of training. Games. Yeah, oh, right. Man. Coach, we thought you were crazy. I was crazy. But, you know, sometimes you got to build a team, then you got to develop it. And the only way you can do that is have a great personnel department to help you build it and don't – Think because you're a head football coach, you gotta you've got to listen as well, and utilize them, and then you got to have a plan to develop what you have, and then you got to coach it, then you got to coach it. And I was fortunate that my staff, my organization, and my support of John and Jay uh, made it happen. They, they allowed it to happen. Today, it doesn't happen that as easily.
5: Well, and, and it's it, it's a shame because I've told Michelle, and I, I don't know if she ever gets tired of it, but. Uh, There's a couple of times a week where I will bring up something that I learned from Dick Vermeule, whether whether (laughs) it's in a press conference. And I know you talk to a lot of corporate leaders. And as you say, it's really not that difficult. You can boil it down, right? You bet. Just surround yourself with great people. Let them do their job. Tell them you love them. Motivate them. And you're going to succeed.
8: Yeah. Hard work is not a form of punishment. No, there's no. a lot of people, especially today. There's a lot of young people that think it there. I read the paper now following the all training camps are open. They talk about how hard they work. It's like, look, you go to practice. It looks like dancing with the stars. <laughs> you know, they're, they're creating their own injury problems because they're not compared. Football is not a contact sport. It's a combat sport. Just stop and think about it. That nose guard on that center. That's not contact. Dancing's contact. Uh-huh. That's combat. You know, and uh, you have to prepare them for that. You can't ease into a street fight. No. Hey, you know, I, I use this in Philadelphia. I was there in seven, uh, seven years in Philadelphia. Last year was a disaster for Philadelphia offensive linemen. One player played all year. The rest of them. So three have missed the whole season. The whole season? Yeah. Okay. Seven years I had three offensive linemen. Missed three games between them. In seven years. Harold Carmichael never missed a game. Mm-hmm. But... The, you, you, I think you physically prepared them better for what that's going to be like on Sunday.
5: Yeah, if, if you're going to play football, you have to practice playing football.
8: Yes. No, <laughs> that doesn't mean you have to beat the hell
5: out no, of them just to right. do that.
8: But you, can, you control the things that help them get better, closer to the environment they're going to play in on Sunday. Yeah. The body develops, I, I really believe this, a lot of self-preservation instincts uh, that can carry over to game day. Yeah.
5: They really do. Hey, Before we let you go, aside from the iconic moment that we talked about off the top with Isaac's catch in the Super Bowl, for you, what was Isaac Bruce's Hall of Fame moment?
8: Oh, geez, I don't know. Uh, I I think, uh, boy, that's, you know, uh, I would say you'd have to go to that first quarter of the the game against the 49ers, you know, how many? Wide receivers have three touchdowns in the first quarter against a former playoff football team. Yeah. No, they weren't. The 49ers, like you said, seven teams. That, and I don't know if I've ever seen, I probably have, a player mature as a person, as defining what he's going to want to be and work toward it physically, emotionally, technically, skill-wise, and everything, as I have seen you talk to Isaac Bruce today, he's a lot different than talking to him in 1997 or 1998 or 1999. He's a different guy. And that doesn't mean any negative, but, you know, there's, there's no correlation between maturity and age. Right? right. And there's no correlation in the pace it takes. I've seen it, and I've, I've, I've seen him go just like that in his overall ability to express himself with you on the radio or with me on the phone or just the warmth he generates as a person. You know that that wasn't automatic to him. He learned to do that in a, in a, in a tremendous Hall of Fame
5: way. Yeah. Hey, one last thing, and we'd be remiss if we didn't ask because when I give gifts to people, I go to vermeilwines.com, well, and everybody that I talk to that is more of a wine drinker than I am, and I, even I, I went to your tastings. I love your wine, but I'm just not a regular wine drinker. But everybody I know that's a wine drinker loves Vermeil Wines, yeah. and. You were telling me that things are going well. Yeah, it's the first time
8: ever. We've been in 13 years. This is the first year we've ever been in the black in 13 years. No capital calls. And the two money guys in our business, I own 12.5%, are very close and they aren't going to let me fail. Okay, so they they never said, let's close this thing down. We're losing money. We just said, let's keep making better wine. Uh (laughs) And uh, I have a Mike March coordinating the winemaking. (laughs) <laughs> and Thomas Rivers Brown makes me look pretty smart, doesn't it? But that's what you're supposed to do as a leader, right? Yeah. Hire yeah. good people. Right. And they either either delegate and, and work with them or designate and let them do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Thomas Brown and Andy Jones do a great job. The grapes come from the same vineyard that my great-grandfather owned many, many years ago. He owned a portion of it. And uh, so if you get good grapes and have good people handling and a little luck, you're going to be good. Right now we have... For 2020, we have no red grapes because they got the whole crop got ruined the wildfire? in the forest fire. Yeah. Oh, man. Smoke damage. Didn't burn the vine, just ruined the grapes. So we won't have any red grapes of the 2020 vintage.
5: Okay. Yeah. If Dick and Carol Vermeil are celebrating the, the biggest celebration, what do you pick? What, what Vermeil wine do you choose? I take the, Now I take the Rosedale Block Cabernet.
8: The Rosedale Block, we six rows of it. It's along the Rosedale Avenue, a little one-and-a-half-lane paved road right next to now Four Seasons. Four Seasons just built a big, huge Did hotel they? spa. <laughs> <one>. I'm serious. Had <laughs> dirt road between that and the vineyard. But anyway, that one, it's 100% cab. And our winemakers love the Tarawa, the soil, and that specific. You know, you can make a first down in that vineyard, and the, the ground is different. Oh, wow. yeah, yeah, really. It's amazing. It's amazing, and they feel that Tarawa, that ground, that what the mixture of soil and rock combination closer to the Palisade mountainside, is the best uh, grape uh, that can be produced in that vineyard. And he says he can produce a one hundred rated Cabernet with these grapes. And there's a lot of variables, you know, the season. We had an, that's been a ninety six and a ninety five in the last two grades. Yeah, wow, fantastic.
5: Uh, we can't thank you enough for what you've brought to St. Louis. What you do for us on an everyday basis, what you've taught me and I try to oh, pass you. along to young thank people. You. I
8: appreciate that compliment.
5: And uh, thank you so much for stopping by and taking some time with us this morning. We really do appreciate it.
8: Always oh, fun to go back to St. Louis, believe me. <laughs>
5: That's the best. Thank you. We, we love you, Coach. That's, thank you. Uh, to Coach Dick Vermeule on 101 ESPN. We, we'll try to get to a quick take it or leave it next with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back
0: to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
5: We do welcome your mic drops with the Rhino Shield mic drop feature, and we want your. Most enjoyable, your strongest Isaac Bruce memories with the mic drop feature. Use it with your 101 ESP and app. Also text 65780. We will have the fight early today at 815 because we're going to talk to Kurt Warner at 830. So a lot coming your way later in the show. Ricky Prohl will join us here on site. Jay Zygmunt will join us here on site. We're going to talk to DeMarco on the phone. And it was really great to talk to Dick Vermeil.
6: He is the best. I see how great of a coach he is because just talking to him for 10, 15 minutes, I'm so motivated. Whatever, yeah. whatever he would tell me if I was a player, I would be all in.
5: Yeah. So would I. And I am. I, mean, <laughs> I do whatever he wants me to me do.
6: Too. I'd be like, three a day? short <laughs> <Sure>, coach. <laughs> uh, uh,
5: okay. I got to get to this. I'll, I'll, I promise I'll t- tell it fast. Okay. 1976. He's in Philadelphia. It's the bicentennial of our country. And he's, Doing three a days, he said. I didn't really do he, on the fourth of July. He's doing three a days. Oh my goodness! And after the second practice, I think fireworks start going off, and they won't stop. boom, 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 boom. He said, "What the hell's going on here?" And they said, "Coach, it's the bicentennial of the country. Today's the fourth of July." He said, "Oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that." He was just so consumed by coaching, he had no idea that it was in Philadelphia, the two hundredth. 200th... <laughs> So, year celebration of our country.
6: Didn't even know it was the 4th no, just, of July.
5: Just so consumed by coaching. Wow. Uh, all right, Michelle, take it or leave it. We get another St. Louis Rams Hall of Famer.
6: I will take that. I okay. think Tory will get in. I don't know if it'll be next year, but I think he'll get in.
5: I'm going to take that. I think he will, too.
6: He's so deserving of it. And any time that... A member of the greatest show on turf goes in, like Isaac, Tori gets brought to the forefront uh-huh. because you're revisiting that team and you're revisiting all the talent that was on that team. Yeah. And it, it will be a shame if he doesn't get in. Yeah.
5: By the way, how, how cool was it that Isaac, that he's so emotional about St. Louis?
6: It's incredible. Yeah. But there's such a bond there between that team and our city or any great team in our state we love sports in st louis and isaac will forever be one of our guys and he knows that and he feels it yeah and he pours back into st louis too it's it's a great mutual relationship yeah um okay randy take it or leave it the greatest show on turf was the most exciting team in st louis sports history
5: i i have to take that there was nothing like that and just to hear the and we'll hear highlights throughout the course of the morning But when they scored touchdowns and uh, uh, I Don't Want to Work was playing Todd Rundgren and the crowd was going crazy. It it was unbelievable. It really was. Well, even the NFL Network and the NFL, we know they hate St. Louis. Right. But the NFL Network can't get enough of showing us the greatest show on tour.
6: Because the the 2011 Cardinals were so fun. but. They only caught fire at the very end. And we went on that great ride. Same thing with the Blues. They were in dead last before they went on the incredible ride to win the Stanley Cup, where the greatest show on turf from week one, you knew you were going to get exciting football and that it was going to be something that you had to watch every week.
5: It was remarkable. And as any of those players or executives will tell us from that team, if they were playing today, the Kansas City Chiefs would be laid to waste. By what they did, because of the precision and the perfectionism that they played with, and as coach said, it is a different game today. Is it <laughs> Dancing with the Stars is a pretty good analogy because <laughs> yeah, well, those those teams played. The, the thing that we overlook is that the the greatest show on turf was awesome. Man, they hit. They played defense too.
6: I think they were sixth in the league. Yeah, that defense, and right? Number
5: one against the run.
6: Unbelievable. Yeah, they don't they don't get the respect they deserve. That no. Rams defense. All right, Randy, let's get to some texts here on the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. From the 314, take it or leave it. It's more of a disappointment that, that the Rams, the greatest show on turf Rams, only won one Super Bowl, more so than the Cubs only winning one World Series with the Brizzo and Baez group.
5: I'm going to take that because the Rams were able to keep their guys around, and the Cubs did, I guess, for, for five or six years, and the thing that... Killed the Rams was Kurt Warner's injury. And I I believe if Kurt doesn't get hurt, that they they do win more Super Bowls. That was just a, a fluke. It was a freak that the Patriots beat them in Super Bowl 36. And Mike Martz was different after that. But that team, even with Mark Bolger at the helm, they should, and all of the players, like Isaac said, everybody agrees they should have won more.
6: Absolutely. And,
5: and not that the Cubs shouldn't have, but I, I think it's actually easier for a, t- a highly talented football team to crush the opposition without random things happening than in baseball.
6: From the 636, take it or leave it, Isaac Bruce should be offered a coaching role with the Battle Hawks when the XFL returns.
5: He should be offered whatever he wants to do. If I'm The Rock and I say, Isaac, what do you want to do with this team. And if, if he wants to do it, he should be allowed to do it.
6: Absolutely. What what would you say no to if yeah. Isaac Bruce wants to do anything? Yeah,
5: If he wants to run your personnel, if he wants to be your coach, if he wants to be your uh, an offensive coordinator, if he wants to do it, he should be. Because he, he's he got a lot of Dick Vermeil in him. He, he obviously took a lot from DV. He's a great leader. He's a, a man of incredible character. And I don't know how you could say... I don't want him doing something. I, I don't know that if I had a football organization and he came to me and I know him, I, I don't know that I would say, no, I don't want you doing this.
6: In whatever capacity he chooses, your yeah. organization is better if Isaac Bruce is involved. It is. So you mentioned Tory Holt. Randy, take it or leave it. Tory Holt is in the Hall of Fame by 2025. I will take that. I will take that, too. I think that's a, a pretty good timeline.
5: Yeah. And I, I believe next year there are Next year, because so many people are going in, and granted, you've got 2020 and 2021's classes going in, but you had so many classes of old-timers going in as well, that century of football. Things are opening up. The, the pathway for Tory is better now than it has been in many years with so many Hall of Fame quality wide receivers blocking him.
6: Take it or leave it, the Cardinals are going to completely waste the window of Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt.
5: I'm going to leave that. Now, this year, yes. But they don't want to lose. And they're trying to... They they tried to do last year what they thought they needed to do in acquiring Arenado. And they were a pretty good team. They were in first place when Jack Flaherty got hurt. They they got to 10 games over five hundred this season. And things fell apart with losing 80% of their pitching staff at one point. So I don't think if the Cardinals don't win with Arnauto and Goldschmidt, ultimately it's going to be because they were saying, oh, well, we don't want to supplement around those guys. I think if they lose, it's going to be because of occurrences beyond their control. I really do think that. Injuries? Yeah. Injuries or, like, who would have expected that they would have so many walks? They've never, under Mike Maddox, and I'm willing to blame Mike Maddox for this. I don't know what the problem is. But it, this has never happened before with them. They, they've been pretty good under him. So I'm going uh, I'm not ready to lay things at the feet of ownership or the front office quite yet if they don't win. because there, sometimes there are extenuating circumstances that cause teams to, hey, the Dodgers did a lot of good things until they finally won a World Series last year.
6: From the 314, or excuse me, the 618, Isaac Bruce is the St. Louis football equivalent of Willie McGee with Cardinal Baseball. Take it or leave it.
5: That's really good, uh, but I'm going to leave it. I do compare him more to Ozzie. Uh Willie just isn't as vocal, and Willie, while a great guy, just isn't a guy that is just all in on the community and doing charitable endeavors. It's not his personality. With Ozzy, it is his personality. With Isaac, it's his personality. So I think the comp for me more is Ozzy than Willie.
6: I think that's good. And I could see where the texture was going because Willie McGee is so beloved. Beloved, yeah. Everybody loves from that Willie perspective, McGee. perspective, yeah. And everybody loves Isaac Bruce. Yeah. But same thing with Ozzy Smith. Ozzy Smith is such a beloved figure in our town as well. All right, from the 573, take it or leave it. Randy is like a kid on Christmas morning today.
5: You can answer that one, Michelle.
6: I'm going to take it. <laughs> you, you have covered this team. You love this team. And this is a day that I know well, you've been looking forward to.
5: And you asked the question of DV. And he answered it definitely, definitely, definitely when you asked about the quality of people that you're bringing in. And that's what we're dealing with. Is I, I don't know that uh, – well, I do know. And the, the two teams that I wound up having the best relationships with – were the mid eighties Cardinals, and I was around the same age as those guys, and they were winning. But Whitey brought in really high quality people, and this team, which just had had such high quality people, it, it's just really amazing that those two teams had the level of just quality and character that that, that they had. And I remember asking Dv and his introductory press conference in 97. How much does high character mean to you? And that actually was one of the things he he cried about was it means everything to him because you can't be a quality team without having high character.
6: And chemistry is very important, too. And if you're trying to assemble a collection of talent, you need to make sure that those people gel.
5: And he would get rid of bad people that were good players. He had no qualms at all about getting rid of people that were jerks or didn't fit the, the character level that they had.
6: From the 314, take it or leave it, Mike Schilt will be gone after the season.
5: Michelle, I've, I've thought about that and I'm going to leave it. Number one, I do think, and the Cardinals may or may not deny this, but I do think that Mike Schilt is perfect for them because he probably is pliable. He's not going to push back against what the front office wants to do. And like I just said, can you. Can you blame him for Flaherty getting hurt? I really, uh, Flaherty and Bader getting hurt was a huge issue for this team. And I don't think you can blame him for that. Now, is he great? No. Uh, obviously, he he he's not he won a World Series yet. He, but, and that's not what you need to be great. But I, I just don't think that this is all his fault. And I really don't think that the Cardinals, after, what, two and a half years, essentially are going to fire a manager. That's just not the way they roll.
6: No, we saw how long he was with the Cardinals stuck with Mike Matheny. I don't think that he's out after this season. And I also wonder how many of the things that we're questioning are things that he's put into place or yeah. things that are decisions being made above him.
5: I think that's the big thing. I agree with you hundred percent because I know the Cardinals are going to say different and Brian Cashman said different about the Yankees about how, well, we don't try to micromanage what our manager does. If you're an analytics team, you're trying to micromanage what your manager does. Don't try to fool us. You are. And there are things that are not in Mike Schilt's control here. He's manager in title, but I don't think he's 100% manager of the team.
6: So he's not the singular head of the snake.
5: Exactly. There you go. Thanks, Michelle. You got it. And thanks for your text to the year. Comfort service, text line 65780. Coming up, an early edition of the fight. And then at the bottom of the hour, another Rams Hall of Famer, Kurt Warner, will join us on Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker
0: and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive, please welcome Randy Carricker.
6: It's Carricker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. We are live from Canton today to celebrate Isaac Bruce the great Isaac Bruce as he gets ready to be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame we have an early edition of the fight today because coming up next segment we are going to talk to Kurt Warner so we wanted to make sure that we got the fight all right so Hunter is going to be Randy's challenger today good morning Hunter how are you
5: pretty good are you
6: we're doing well are you ready to challenge Randy in the fight
5: I'm gonna give it the old college try
6: Hunter, were you a St. Louis Rams fan?
5: I was a Cowboys fan growing up in Arkansas.
6: Okay. Well, this fight may be a little difficult for you then because it's very heavy on the greatest show on turf today. So good luck to you, Hunter. Well, thank you. All right. Here we go. Question number one. Though he spent the majority of his NFL career with the Rams, Isaac Bruce did play with one other team to finish his career. Which team was it? The Tennessee Titans, the Seattle Seahawks, or the San Francisco 49ers?
5: Uh, Seahawks.
6: Question number two. Which Rams player was named NFL Offensive Player of the Year three times from 1999 through 2001? Was it Marshall Falk, Isaac Bruce, or Tory Holt? Uh, Falk. All right. Question number three here, which player scored the Rams' only touchdown in both the 1999 NFC Championship game versus Tampa Bay and in Super Bowl 36 versus New England? Was it Isaac Bruce, Ricky Prohl, or Marshall Falk? Bruce. Okay, final question. Which year was Isaac Bruce, the NFL receiving yards leader? Was it 95, 96, or 2000? 96. Okay, I'm going to text Emily, since we're on remote today, to confirm the score. I am waving Randy in, All right, and he's going to sit down and get all set up here. Randy, please say good morning to Hunter.
5: Hunter, good morning. How are you doing? Terrific. Hey, thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. We do appreciate it. Thank you for being out okay. there representing St. Louis. Uh, we're excited. I just saw Ricky Holt, Ricky Pearl out in the uh, in the lobby. He's going to join us in, uh, I think, an hour or so.
6: Yeah, everybody's here. Yeah. It's really cool. We're sitting here, and there's a door open to the room that we're in, and so many people are walking by wearing number 80 jerseys. Yep, it's awesome. Everybody's here for Isaac. Okay, Randy, question number one. Though he spent the majority of his NFL career with the Rams, Isaac Bruce did play with one other team to finish his career. Which team was it?
5: He was number 88 for the San Francisco 49ers.
6: I should have known that you would know his number two. Question number two, which Rams player was named NFL Offensive Player of the Year three times from 1999 through 2001?
5: NFL Offensive Player of the Year three times. I'm going to go with Marshall for that.
6: Which player scored the Rams' only touchdown in both the 1999 NFC Championship game versus Tampa Bay and in Super Bowl 36 versus New England?
5: Oh, that'll be uh, our future guest, Ricky Prohl.
6: <laughs> and final question Which year was Isaac Bruce the NFL receiving yards leader?
5: Uh, first year here, 1995.
6: All right. Emily, ring the bell.
0: The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carriker. The fight sponsored by Ryan Kelly and Herolone.com. Check out how they help veterans and service members at the new and improved Herolone.com.
6: Hunter, for someone who was not a Rams fan and was, in fact, a Cowboys fan, you did pretty good. Randy beat you three to two. So, Isaac Bruce finished his NFL career with the San Francisco 49ers. The Ram, who was the NFL Offensive Player of the Year three times from 99 through 2001, was Marshall Falk. The player that scored the Rams' only touchdown in both the 99 NFC Championship game and the Super Bowl thirty six was, in fact, Ricky Prohl. And, Randy, you were very close. The year that Isaac Bruce was the NFL Receiving Yards leader was 1996.
5: Oh, you know what? Yeah, that's I should have. He had two great years, but he did that with Tony Banks and Steve Walsh as his quarterbacks. So pretty impressive. i will take the win.
6: <laughs> you got the win. Hunter, thank you so much for listening. Oh, he's doing a celebration. Uh, even on, on the road, Randy's doing a celebration. Hunter, thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Have a great weekend.
5: Thanks, guys. Shout-out to Lame Ryan, boy. All right. Always good to get those shout-outs in. Michelle?
6: Oh, wait. Actually, yeah. Randy, I'm looking at the fight here and Emily can get in my ear, you might be right. Because I think she has the yards totals next to the years. And I think she might have just highlighted the wrong one. Because it seems like in 95, he had 1,781 yards. And in 96, 1,338 yards. But
5: I don't think he led the league in 95.
6: Oh, maybe not. Okay. so he led four he he l- yards. Can you guys yeah. hear me?
5: Yeah, yes, we got you. Yeah, we got
6: so, you. So he led the league
0: in 96 but he had more yards in 95.
6: There you go. Got it. Okay. Good okay. clarification before we get justice for Hunter on the line. Yeah. On <laughs> the text line.
5: Thanks, Emily. We do appreciate it.
6: Thank you, Emily. And, sure thanks.
5: And Isaac Bruce joined us this morning, and uh, we're going to have quite a day because we're looking forward to hearing from Kurt Warner coming up. And I'll be interested to hear because Kurt obviously played with Torrey, played with Larry Fitzgerald. He played with Anquan Bolden. He played with, Some of the best ever to play. I'll be interested to hear when we ask Kurt what set Isaac apart, what it was. Because one thing that Coach talked about was not getting hit. Isaac was the best at getting in and out of routes ever, and nobody ever touched him. He, he had such an incredible ability to get open.
6: So explosive. But even speaking with Coach Vermeil, and he was talking about how Isaac would try to make difficult catches or easy yeah. catches difficult so that when he had a difficult catch, he would have that skill set ready. I think that's one thing that probably set him apart is that he wanted to be ready for the hard stuff.
5: And the one that he... Caught for the touchdown in the Super Bowl was an exceptionally difficult catch. That was really, really hard, but he made it look easy, right? Yeah. So it's going to be great. We're looking forward to that. And uh, what we're going to do is set things up for Kurt. Kurt's going to call us, so we'll get ready for him. He's coming up, the Hall of Famer, Kurt Warner, next on 101 ESPN. From Canton, it's Carricker and Smallman celebrating the induction of Isaac Bruce into the Pro Football Hall of Fame.
0: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: Warner pump fake into the end zone, touchdown! Isaac Bruce Warner looking for the end zone again. Touchdown, touchdown! ran. like Bruce, his second touchdown. Warner going back for more. He got Isaac Bruce wide open, Bruce. He'll go in again, his third touchdown of the day. Warner, only three incompletions all day. Going for Isaac Bruce. Bruce pulls away, he's got it. Touchdown, his fourth of the day.
5: And a couple of Hall of Famers, Kurt Warner to Isaac Bruce on that Sunday afternoon in St. Louis in 1999 as the Rams snapped a 17-game losing streak against the 49ers, and now... With Isaac Bruce going into the Hall of Fame, we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and another Hall of Famer, Kurt Warner, joins Carriker and Smallman. Uh, Kurt, it's always great to have you with us. Michelle is here. This is Randy. How are you doing this morning?
3: I am doing extremely well. How are you
5: guys? Everything's great. And I can't imagine how much fun it must be for you with... Marshall and Orlando, and now Isaac joining you in the Hall of Fame, and soon Tori, and obviously Aeneas Williams is, is in the Hall of Fame as well. That's got to be a pretty cool feeling to see how how revered that team is.
3: Uh, w- without a doubt. And I think we understood, uh, you know, especially once I left the Rams, really understood how special that group was and what we had accomplished, what we had done in that era of football Was pretty spectacular, and um, you know sometimes you don't really realize it when you're in the moment, Uh, and and then you look back and you start to understand the level of talent and the guys that we had in that room. Um, You know, so it's it's fun when we get down to Canton and you get guys that get inducted into Canton because I think it recognizes two things: it obviously recognizes the individual greatness of the different players that we had, the individual greatness of Isaac. Um, but at the same time, it recognizes what we accomplished as a football team and, and what those guys were able to come together and do. Um, you know, it, it brings about a couple different special parts to it. And so I'm so excited because this is, to me, way, way, way overdue for, for Isaac to be in the Hall of Fame. But we often say in the Hall of Fame, I hear people say it all the time, that once you get in, it doesn't matter how long it took you to get in, Uh, because you are a part of that room and you are a part of that culture and a part of that team forever.
6: Kurt, as a Hall of Famer yourself, you've already gone through this process. Have you given Isaac any advice on something that he should do this weekend?
3: Uh, No, I haven't. Uh, I think a lot of guys, you just have to try to figure it out on your own. Uh, There's so many great moments. There's so many things that you wish you could Kind of prepare someone for, uh, but you can't really prepare them for it. You know, the, the, you can tell them about different moments, but as a Hall of Famer, sometimes you sit back and go, I don't really want to tell them about anything. I want them to experience each of these moments individually because uh, it all hits us. It hits us all at different moments, different times. There's there's a lot of special things that happen throughout this week uh, that unfortunately I wasn't there to be a part of. Uh, but that's kind of one of the cool things is to to see when it truly hits these guys. Even guys, you know, like Peyton Manning, who you know knew he was a lock, knew he was going to be into the Hall of Fame in his first year. Uh, but really, you know, it it has some substance to, us at diff- substance to it at different moments uh, when you go through this process. And that's a really neat part of it is um, is it, just watching the guys and hearing from them on when it sunk in that man, they're really a part of this fraternity, and, uh, and, and it really you know hit them in a way that, uh, that they probably didn't expect it to hit them.
5: Kurt Warner with us on 101 ESPN. We celebrate the induction of Isaac Bruce into the Pro Football Hall of Fame tomorrow. Kurt, was there a time when you guys were playing where you thought about Isaac being a Hall of Famer, where you were throwing to him either in a game or practice, and man, you said, man, that, that's a Hall of Fame quality guy.
3: Well, the funny thing is, is that you know when I was in St. Louis, I don't ever think I really thought in those terms uh, as much um, about being in the Hall of Fame. There was no doubt when I was with Isaac that I'm like, okay, this guy's unique, this guy's special, Uh, this guy is the best, if not one of the best in the league. Um, And so, yeah, I think in my mind, even though I might not have used the Hall of Fame term, uh, I recognize how great isaac was and some of the things that he did and his ability to run routes uh was better than anybody i've ever been around and uh it was so much fun to play with him because his strengths uh, you know played into my strengths and uh it was so much fun because you know i think it's a reason why we had so much success is that when you get guys that do similar type things well um that's where you start to see and accentuate the greatness of of different players and his ability to get in and out of routes, his ability to, uh, you know, to, to create separation uh, was unlike anybody I ever saw. And so once I left St. Louis um, and you get to see kind of other players, and I was around a, a bunch of other great players at that position. Um, it became very obvious that, uh, that Isaac Bruce belonged in the hall of fame because of the kind of player he was coupled with the level of production that he had, uh, it was really to me a no-brainer that, that he get in. And as I said, it was way way overdue uh, with his play, who, who he was, how he represented the game. To me, all of this should have happened way sooner. But uh, but regardless of all that, I'm just happy to uh, to welcome him in this weekend and, and to be a part of it.
5: Hey, Kurt, I want to go back to the return that we heard, the game against San Francisco. One thing I learned about Isaac from the time that he came here, he was always very responsible with the media. The the PR staff here was great, and he would take care of the local guys. And I knew that unless he was hurt or unless he was super focused, that he would be there for us. And he was really quiet, reserved, and He wasn't really available that week, and I was thinking, uh uh-oh, the 49ers are in trouble because there were weeks leading up to games where he he was just that way. Did you have a sense, do you recall during that week that the team had lost 17 in a row to the Niners, he'd lost 8 in a row to the Niners, and you throw three touchdown passes to him in the first quarter, did you kind of have a sense that something like that might happen with him specifically?
3: Well, Isaac really set the tone for a lot of things that we accomplished and a lot of things we did that year. Um, as you said, you know, some of us, myself, Tori, guys, were new to this whole Forty Nine er thing and didn't really understand what Forty Nine er Week was was all about. Well, I, you know, introduced us to that very quickly. That you know, this week is different. That this week, the focus has to be at a different level because if we're going to do anything and get where we want to go, it has to go through the 49ers first. And so you could definitely tell from Isaac that week um, that it was a different feel, that it was a different intensity. Um, and Isaac was an intense guy, you know, oftentimes, you know, wasn't a man of, of many words, but there was no doubt that week was different. And he set the tone for us. Um, and, and, and as you said, he set the tone for himself. Because he was getting ready and locked in to be able to, you know, to kind of show us the way in that game. And so, yes, I, I definitely do remember that. I De- do remember that moment and what that game meant for us. But specifically, you know, remember numerous times, including that week, where Isaac was really, you know, the, the, the leader of our group in terms of this is how we do things, this is how we're going to separate ourselves. And that 49 a week was no different.
6: Kurt, there's so many highlight real moments between you and Isaac Bruce, but is there a favorite moment that you have, a Kurt Warner to Isaac Bruce play that's your favorite that stands out above the rest?
3: Oh man, I mean you're right. There's there's I mean there, there's so many incredible plays. Um, you know, talking about that 49er game, that is one that uh, that I always think about. You know, I can visualize those you know three touchdown catches in the in the first half and, and how they played out. Um, And that was a really key moment because I believe that moment, that game was a catalyst for us to believe we could win a championship. Um, You know, so those touchdowns uh, are incredible. Uh, Gosh, it's so funny you you say that. And now I have about 20 of them in my head bouncing around. (laughs) Um, but, But, you know, I think it's hard not to go to the Super Bowl because it just seemed fitting to me that Isaac caught the pass to win the Super Bowl and not only caught it, uh, you know, his ability to adjust to the football and, um, you know, didn't affect him one bit as he adjusted. He was so smooth uh, in the course of adjusting, being able to cut back and and then take it to the house and score the touchdown. Uh, It just was so fitting for so many reasons because I had been the, you know, the elder statesman there. And he had been the guy that had led the way. and, And if there was a guy that was going to make that play to catapult the ramps, to a championship, it was supposed to be Isaac. Uh, Even though we had a bunch of great players that could have done it, it was fitting. And, um, you know, that he had to, you know, make an adjustment and and do what he did to to get us there. That's obviously one that's always going to, you know, hold a special place. I see it every year. Uh, I visualize it quite often. Um, And it just, the significance of what it meant for our team, but also the guy that was doing it, has to be the one that stands out. Even though, like I said, I, I can visualize a whole bunch of them. You know, the first, the first pass we threw in our playoff game against Minnesota, uh, 788, I still remember the call. I remember visualizing in my head on how it might play out. Um, and, you know, it goes for a 60-plus yard touchdown pass to Isaac on the first play of the game um, in that playoff run. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, I just I have so many memories of, of Isaac and connecting with Isaac and, and big plays that he made for our team.
5: Hey, Kurt. One of the things that we as fans we, we see the touchdown passes, but we don't pay as much attention for when wide wide receivers block. And that's something that Isaac is very proud of in his, his career, is that he would get downfield and block, and he was a much more physical player than people give him credit for. I have to believe that's something that as you guys watch tape on Mondays after games, you would see some of the blocks that Isaac Bruce would make and say, wow.
3: No doubt. I mean, it was one of the things I thought that was so unique about the character of that team was the unselfishness of our superstars. And that's one way that obviously it shows up is that uh, it wasn't about always getting the catch and getting into the end zone. It was about if somebody else got a catch, getting them into the end zone and their role in that. And, you know, part of that could be also the way that they ran a route to clear out and know that they were a decoy and set up another guy. But, you know, going back to Isaac, it was just so much about the way he set the tone for how we were going to play and how we were going to practice. I remember watching a, a practice early on when I was there and, you know, I just caught a glimpse and, and somebody was just running really, really fast. And I remember telling uh, our OC or whoever was running the film at the time, just, Hey, you got it in fast forward, slow it down. And he's like, no, I don't, I don't have it in fast forward. And so I went back and looked at the screen and of course it was, it was Isaac practicing that he practiced at at a speed that he played at. You know, he practiced at a different speed than everyone else to kind of go, hey, God, this is how, you know, you you be a pro. This is how you, you know, set the tone, and this is how we're going to get somewhere special is by every day in every practice playing and practicing at this particular level. And that was just how he set the tone. And so as many great players as we had, there was no doubt that um, Isaac was the one that really, kind of set everything up for us that first year as we were all kind of learning what it meant to be a Ram and and what it meant to be a pro. Uh, He showed us the way on that and, you know, it went everywhere from practice to the moments that you're talking about, uh, you know, blocking for guys and setting guys up and, and not being selfish in the way that he played in any way, shape or form.
6: Kurt, you mentioned the speed, and I'm reading a book right now about the greatest show on turf, and I wrote this quote down. Mike Mark said that you guys played fast because you had fun, and I know that there's pressure to win every week, and you're locked into what you're doing, but how fun was it for you to drop back to pass and know that you had all of these weapons at your disposal and that most teams couldn't stop you as hard as they tried?
3: It was fun. Um, it was... Uh, it, you know, It made my life so much easier, um, but you know, a lot of people don't realize that or think back to, you know, me coming from arena football before I played with the Rams and in arena football, the game was, was so fast and, you know, had, you know, cause of the small field and, and whatever, that it just ha- happened quicker. And I remember when I got on the big field, like in Amsterdam and I was playing and I'm like, man, this team is so slow. And that to me was one of the greatest parts of playing with the group that I played with was they were so fast. And they made me feel so comfortable with the speed by which we played. Um, And it did make it fun. I mean, you know, we had so many great players um, that, you know, oftentimes I just kind of felt like I don't really have to do anything but just drop back here and just throw it to the guys who supposed to throw it to because they're they're always open. Um, But the speed and the intensity by which we all played was at a different level. Uh, you know, we re- still remember guys coming over to me after games. I mean, here you are playing in the NFL against the best in the world and they would come over to us and just go and, and tell me, and this is incredible. he said, you guys are like a video game, you know, that you're going so fast and you're constantly on the move and we don't know how to react to it. And, you know, we're just kind of sitting over there in awe. And it's exactly how we felt. We felt like we were a video game that nobody could stop us, um, you know, with our guys going and the speed by which we played. And so, It was just so much fun to be a part of that group. And again, when you're in the midst of it, you don't fully understand what all you have, even though people are telling you those things. You're like, oh, this is just kind of what we do. Then you go other places and you sit back and you go, oh man, now I get it. Now I understand what, (laughs) you know, what that team meant and how good that team was, even though I played with some other great players. So it was, It was a whole bunch of fun to be the guy with the ball in my hands uh, with all of these tremendous weapons. uh, And the way that we played the game, I think, as well, is that we not only ushered in an era because of our great players, we ushered in an era because we played the game differently. Uh, We set the game up differently. We showed people that, hey, you don't have to run first to win in the National Football League when everybody else thought that, that you can be efficient and you can be really, really good when you get players like this together and you can throw the ball first. And, uh, and I really feel like we were a team that, that ushered in the era of the NFL that we're seeing right now.
5: Agreed. Kurt Warner, two more quick things. Number one, statute of limitations has passed now. We're, we're 20 years more past uh, your, your career with the Rams, with the, those Super Bowl teams. Did number 80 ever come to you and say, man, I'm open, get me the ball?
3: <laughs> well i mean I, I think all of my guys said that at some point in time, but um but you know w- with our guys, the funny thing is is that it wasn't it was never in a way like, why are you not throwing me the ball? You need to throw the ball to me more because I'm the best player or because I 'm always open. Uh, I just think we had a great connection and communication between us that there was an openness to go. Hey, if you're open, come tell me, come talk to me about what you're doing or what you're seeing or what routes are being successful. And so I think that was the cool thing is that all the guys, you know, different times would come to me and say, Hey, this is going to be open. We can do this. We can do that. Um, But what I love about it is that it was never a, a pressure invitation on the quarterback to go. You need to throw to me more. I'm open. I'm open. I'm open. We never had any of that. The guys were simply just trying to win and compete at the highest level. Um, you know, and every competitor wants the ball more. Uh, but never once did I did I feel that it was ever a complaint from any of our guys and specifically from Isaac that I wasn't getting the ball enough. It was just, hey, I think I can beat this guy on this route. Um, you know, let's call this more, or give me a look on this. And that's what I appreciated. I loved guys telling me, you know, sometimes the read takes you to the other side of the field, so you'd love that guys come and tell you, hey. We won on this route, or I can beat this guy on this route. But I also love the fact that, you know, it would be tough because you had all these great players. I never felt the pull to go, oh, my gosh. At this play, I better get it to number 80. I better throw it to him a couple times early. Never felt that pressure for many of our guys, and, and specifically I did.
5: And finally, Kurt, uh, you mentioned his speed, and the, you, he looked on film like it was in fast forward. You mentioned his ability to run routes. So – the guys that are casting the movie must have found a really special athlete to to play Isaac Bruce, right?
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, I have no idea how good the athlete was. Uh, you know, I
5: didn't I didn't see a
3: lot of uh, a lot of those pieces. Um, but let's just say there's no way they found an athlete as good as Isaac. Um, you know, that's the magic of TV. Uh, I don't think any of the guys in the movie quite live up to the billing for the guys that they're actually playing on the field so let's hope that movie magic does wonders to uh to make sure those guys can at least at least look the part to a degree so you can uh, bring some legitimacy to it but yeah i mean there's no way you're finding guys that uh, are going to do the same sorts of things as isaac and tory and marshall and, and big o so you, you do the best you can and then you say hey it's the movies everybody's going to understand we can't uh you know we can't duplicate these guys
5: Kurt Warner, it's so good to hear your voice. Thanks so much. I know that uh, you're going to make it here tomorrow, right, for the ceremony?
3: I will be down, yep. Uh, i got a little thing with my son tonight, and I'm taking the red eye down, and I'll be uh, there for the coverage the next two days.
5: All right. You're wonderful. We thank you very much. We'll see you tomorrow, and uh, it's great to have you with us celebrating Isaac making it into the Hall of Fame. Have a great day.
3: Awesome. Thanks a lot, and I can't wait to, uh, to see everybody down there.
5: It'd be great. That is the great Kurt Warner, Hall of Famer, joining us on 101 ESPN.
6: How fun was it to watch that team? Can you imagine what it was like to be in the huddle and to be there every day at practice and, and be a part of that?
5: And isn't it interesting how the, both Isaac and Kurt, they just kind of laughed, you know? And yeah. I, I guess they, when it was happening, they probably did too. They, like it was a video game.
6: Well, and again, in this book that I'm reading, we were talking about it on the plane yesterday. Even in wins, they could crush teams. And yeah. in the post game, they said, we didn't play well. They knew how good they were in the moment. And I think when it's happening, you never have a full sense of the greatness when you're in it. It's very hard to do that in real time. But they still knew how good they were. And now looking back, what has it been, 20 years? We really can have a great sense of just how special that team was.
5: Yeah, Coming up, we're going to get to a couple of your mic drops. And then Ricky Prohl, another of Isaac's wide receiver teammates, will join us. Carriker and Smallman from Canton, the site of the Hall of Fame and Ricky is coming up on 101 ESPN.
0: We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: Now <laughs> in the end of the game, someone's going to make a play and put their team in the Super Bowl. Warner going deep. Touchdown, touchdown. Ricky Pro in the corner. They sold out for the flip. That's a play, Is it ever. Someone's going to make a play to put their team in the Super Bowl. Here's Ricky Pro. He, he, he just gets good position right there, and Kurt Warner makes a perfect throw.
5: Michelle Smallman, Randy Carriker. It is Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN and joining us here in our area in our broadcast area in canton is ricky prohl you just heard that highlight do you ever get tired of it no never. let me turn your
4: microphone up here there we go okay no it it (laughs) never gets old let me let me make that clear for those who didn't hear it no never so what a weekend for you because you played with peyton manning at the end of your career too right so isaac and peyton yes um i was watching an interview with peyton uh during the game last night and special player both of them i mean uh for me, obviously, I'm a little biased, but uh, Isaac, it's long overdue. I mean, he, to me, is a first-time, first-ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, great player. Uh, to play 17 years, I played with some great players. And um, obviously, like you said, Peyton Manning and, and Isaac is at the top. I mean, he's as good as it gets. You are a wide receiver's coach. You coached in the NFL. What is it that sets Isaac apart that makes him a Hall of Famer? Many things. Um, his competitiveness is amazing. Um, his ability to play inside, outside, uh, make big plays, can go the distance, uh, can make the tough catch over the middle, can take it the distance anywhere on the field. Um, he's a threat anytime he touches the ball and, and anytime he's on the field and, and uh, he does everything well. Um, I, I think there's two guys that I've played with, and like I said, I've played with um, some amazing athletes amazing wide receivers um but people who have the ability to change direction at full speed mm-hmm. uh, guys that I played with come in mind is, is and they they were so similar was um Isaac and Marvin Harrison and um but Isaac's uh like I said it, it, top shelf uh tremendous receiver that could do so many things great not well not good great
6: We've talked to Kurt Warner and Dick Vermeil today, and both of them mentioned a standard that Isaac set. He was with the Rams when they moved to St. Louis. What sort of standard did he set on the practice field, in the locker room, in the games? What, what kind of standard was Isaac Bruce at?
4: He just, um, you know, I, I felt I, I got a chance to play with Isaac probably, I don't know, I, I mean, date myself, probably he was probably year five. But I can't imagine being a rookie coming in and seeing Isaac Bruce and going, God, it would be intimidating. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to play in this league. Like, this guy can run full speed. I mean, he would be at top speed within, you know, four to five yards, and he could stop on a dime and change direction. And that's what separated him from everybody else. And he worked on his craft every day. Um, And we all did, but he did it at a different level. I mean, um, the speed of the game and – the quickness, explosiveness, how he um played was uh came from practice. That's how he practiced, you know, and, and um it set a standard from Tory Holt when he came in. Um you know, to when I came in. Um that's how we that's how we do it. That's how we did it was we, we followed Isaac and, you know, watching him from afar when he was in L A and catching a hundred and something passes a year and then to see him up close in person. Um, you saw real quick why and how he did it was because he worked every day in practice, played at the speed in practice that he would in a game, and and it showed up every week.
5: And Ricky, we were talking to Kurt a moment ago about how you guys watched tape on Monday, and as a group, you guys really blocked too. For a guy six foot, one hundred and eighty pounds, Isaac threw his weight around, didn't he?
4: As he, a did. Player. he did, and, and, and we laugh about that all the time. And, and Isaac, if he was sitting here, I'd say the same thing, and he'd tell you Al Saunders had everything to do with that. That was our receiver coach, and, and uh, we laugh about Coach Saunders all the time, uh, myself, Isaac, Tory, Oz, uh, Tony Horn, but he would chase us down the field mm-hmm. if we weren't blocking. And his biggest thing was keep the safeties off Marshall Falk. If I've got to – yelled down his field every day in practice i'm gonna i'm gonna chase you down if you're not blocking <laughs> and he, you'd be you'd be 20 yards down the field and you'd hear something chirping in you you look looking it'd be al saunders <laughs> chasing us down the middle of the field and um we would laugh like this guy's nuts yeah and he really instilled blocking and then what happened it became contagious all of a sudden you make just that half a second get in front of the safety and Marshall's cutting off of you and going 70 yards for a touchdown. And it was sprint down there to do the bob and weave. And, and it became contagious to where we wanted to make that block for Marshall, for Isaac, for Tory, and, and we took pride in blocking down the field. And, and that was, that's a tribute to Al Saunders. And, and he instilled that in all of us.
6: When did you know that you guys were a great team? Because I'm sure early in the season you felt good. You were racking up some wins. You knew that there was a a great collection of talent there. But when did you know this is a team that could win the Super Bowl?
4: It was probably middle of the year. And and it all came from, I think, Dick. I think Dick believed in us when we lost Trent. And Kurt came into the fold. Um, We were all doubting, like, oh, man, this was going to be a special year. And, And they just did a great job of just taking bits and pieces of our offense and letting Kurt get comfortable and he got comfortable quicker than they anticipated. And, and, um, but I think we were, I don't know, five, six and oh, and then we lost two in a row. Um, so we were feeling good about ourselves. Then we got kind of hit in the mouth by Detroit and I think it was Tennessee maybe. Mm -hmm. And, um, but then we bounced back and, and, you know, Dick had said a story about getting in the wheelbarrow and he believed in us and, All of a sudden, guys started looking at each other and said, my butt's in the wheelbarrow, like I believe. And and it it was so much fun. It's so hard to explain. It was like playing backyard ball. Just teens. when all of a sudden we started getting the greatest show on turf. And it was, you know, um, a track meet on a football field. We played fast. We played physical. um, But it was always like, not today. The defense was always like, not today. And they would kind of sometimes they'd have something good for us in the first half. And then by the second half, we just like, just let's see what they're doing, just wait it out, play the game, and then all of a sudden we just crank it up, and it was who was going to make the plays that week. And sometimes it was Isaac, sometimes it was Torrey. um A lot of times it was Oz. And, and then, you know, in between here and there, I'd make my first downs. And, and um, But it was it – was, I think the biggest thing for me that I take away from that team was um, selflessness. We didn't care who scored. We didn't care who made the play. It was – um let's just make those plays and and celebrate
5: i think it's it's remarkable and this is not isaac being fake or just you know just saying something but when you ask isaac what his favorite catch of all time was he says number one was ricky prole's catch (laughs) in, in the tampa bay game that says it all right there when you talk about selfless right and he's it's a completely authentic when he says that
4: he um yeah he has said that several times um and that's Isaac. Um, but I think he would tell you that this football team made him that way. Uh, you know, to play in this league and to play as long as Isaac did, you have to be somewhat selfish because you have to – got to want that football. you got to want to make plays. And, and I was that way. Tory was that way. Oz, Isaac, Marshall. But when you're around – when you sit in a huddle and you look in Orlando Pace and Kurt Warner and Isaac, Tory, Marshall, Oz, Ernie Conwell, you can't help but get better and you're not going to get every ball, so you learn. And, and it was guys like – I think Tory did a great job of that selflessness and incorporating that in, even as a young player, because I think coming in as a young player, he was just glad to be associated with this football team and to win and to, to have the success and him to be a, a first-year you know, starter and, and, and to contribute like he did. Um, but I think we all learned – that we weren't going to all be that guy every game. Mm-hmm. And it was about uh, Oz, the, the, you know, because Torrey's to the one who did the Bob and We. That yeah. was his deal. and But Oz was so selfless and, and just um, created that fun, um, carefree attitude that we all kind of took on as the year went on. And it was just a perfect blend of players that were so competitive but just loved each other, played for each other, and didn't care who got – the 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 glamour, um, so to speak, but just um, just couldn't wait to just make plays and win football games.
6: So take me through the Bob and we, when's the first time that Tory presented it to you guys, or you saw it and it had to be so fun for that to be such a a celebration and a calling card and for you guys to look in the stands and the dome and see everybody doing it. It caught on like wildfire. It
4: it did. And, and I'm getting old, so I don't remember (laughs) the particular game when Tory started doing it. So I'm probably the wrong guy to ask. I just know it started when we started getting on that string of four to five and we started putting up 40 points. A, a week and um Tory just started doing it, so I, I'm probably not the right guy. And then we all just started getting involved, and, and he kind of uh, orchestrated how we were going to do it. Uh-huh. And this is what we need to do every time we score, and it, it just it took fire. And, and um I mean, God, the St. Louis fans were just amazing. I mean, I, I I still get frustrated to think that they're not they don't have a football team because they were the best fans that I've ever played in front of in my 17 years.
5: It was, Mike Martz often said, perfect place and time, right? And it really was because of the style of play that played. And I tell people now, yes, we did lose the team. But I don't think Ricky, Ricky Prohl with us on 101 ESPN, I don't think, that any fan base is capable of seeing what we saw or any f- football team is capable of doing what you did, the way offense is played now, the way defense is played now, the way the league is legislated hitting out of the game. I think that what you guys did over that period of time was the best that the NFL ever had to offer.
4: Do you agree? I, I do. I do. Uh, I mean, you look at what we were doing, um, and how we did it was, was truly amazing. Um, you couldn't stop us. You know, you could contain us for a first half maybe. Um, but then it was eventually going to blow up and it did every week in and week out. And, um, it was fun to be a part of. It was amazing to see firsthand. Um, you know, cause you got to understand, I mean, I played for 10 years prior and, and, um, seeing the 49ers with Jerry and John Taylor and Joe Montana and those Roger Craig and what they did. And and it was it's not even a comparison. Um, That's saying something. Yeah. I mean, it it was (laughs) well, even back in the with Mouths Davis, with the Oilers and Detroit with the run and shoot. they still weren't doing what we did. Um, You know, we were under center and Marshall was still getting 20 touches, 25 touches. Yeah. You know, uh, for a season, he'd run for
5: 1,387 yards. You knew every year it was 1,387, right? You could run. And that's probably the biggest thing that changed the game is that the the pass set up the run. And you guys would get ahead with the pass and then turn it over to him in the second half
4: of games, right? Exactly. And, and um, you know, I, I think one of the things that's not been said, and, and Coach March would be able to probably tell you this, and, and Coach Vermeule but Mart's more so because of the offense that he put in and, the, and the, um, the complexity of it. I know Kirk could tell you if he didn't tell you this morning, but we had smart football players. Mm-hmm. Oz was smart. Torrey and Isaac were smart. I'd like to think I was smart. smart. Marshall was probably next to Peyton, one of the, the two smartest football players I ever stepped on the field with. Um, but we could do things that other people couldn't. And, and – Me and Oz in the slot, we had a lot of responsibilities like Marshall did being in the backfield. And we'd line up in the backfield and and split to different formations, change formations, motion, do different shifts. um, That Teams would want to do that, but if you don't have the right players that that understand the offense and know um, where to line up and where to shift to and where to motion to, we did so many different things that allowed us to have the success that we had because we could – do that stuff and the complexity you know that w- that we did it in was um was amazing and that was because we had smart football players
5: and the other teams can try that but if you don't have number 76 at left tackle it just doesn't work right he you talk about the fulcrum of the whole thing and the reason that you could make it go it's because of orlando
4: unbelievable i mean that guy i mean I, i'll always i mean the the, his footwork, his his size and his ability to move and his quickness for being as big as he was I mean no disrespect to Kurt, but I think I could have been to a disaster quarterback with Orlando. i like, yeah, right. you know, if something ever happened to all the starters, Hey, I'll play quarterback with Orlando protecting my blind side. I'll run if I have to, on this, if I see anything coming on this side, but I know my backside's protected. Right, yeah. He was amazing. And, and like I said, that's where you just look at that group and, and even Timmerman and Grutadori, all those guys and Tommy Newton and Fred Miller. I mean, we were loaded. Uh, yeah. you know, you can't deny that. Um, some great tight ends and, and Ernie and Roland and, um, you know, Greg, uh, you know, it—it was—it uh, it was truly amazing.
6: Do you remember what the reaction was around the league at that time? Because I've been revisiting a lot of the post game stories and it struck me how many times an opposing coach or an opposing player would make it a point to go up to someone on the Rams and say, wow, you guys really have something. And not only did you have this innovative and electric offense, you were 0 8 in the NFC West a year prior to then come out and be this greatest show on turf. So what do you remember about the reaction from other teams around the league?
4: I think they were blown away. I mean, I think to put it in perspective, um, Um, you know talking about Isaac and this is his special week um, he cried like a baby when we beat the Niners Um, in San Fran because he had never done that and to beat him twice that year um, but I think you know there was a a video of a highlight of of us doing our thing and um, it was a DB on the sideline going just blown away like this is a track meet on a football field there's a bunch of track stars out there running around um and and it was we we played with like i said with the shifts and then the motions and then the ball snapped where everybody's moving and we did a lot of um crossing routes and switch releases and it just it put defenses in such a bind and we were doing stuff that the league hasn't seen and it, it blew everybody away. They, and, and like you said, after the game, talking to coaches and players, they're like, "You guys are unbelievable. Like this is so hard to stop. You got so much talent. Um, you play fast. And um, y'all gonna go, you know, We'll see you in, in Atlanta. You know, you guys are gonna be in Atlanta. I think people knew that that was we were destined to to play in the Super Bowl that year. And it is amazing. And, and that's a tribute to Coach Vermeil and his staff because they believed we went 4-12, and 12 and, you know, they, they weren't happy with Dick. Um, I'm sure that's another story for maybe another day, but I know front office was, they were trying to run Coach off, mm-hmm. and, and, um, and we believed in him, and it, it was tough, and, and the way he did it, and, I mean, it, people tell you our practices weren't pleasant. Three hours, twice a day, hitting in Macomb, Illinois, it was not fun. And, but the Super Bowl year, he backed off, and, and I asked him, I said, Coach, why did you all of a sudden go from full pads in 98 to Super Bowl year? You know, I don't think we wore pads at all. And he said, we had a young football team, and they had to understand that when I said no pads, it wasn't a day off, that we were still going to practice fast, practice hard. We just weren't. It was no contact. And um, and he said, you have to trust me. There's a method to my madness, and, and been here before, and I've learned from my past, you know, Uh, mistakes in Philadelphia, and and, uh, he's a great football coach. I'm just blessed that I had the opportunity to play for him for two years.
5: One of the things, Ricky, that we miss about the NFL is that – The platform used by the NFL to benefit communities is great. And you did – Ricky Pearl did unbelievable things in St. Louis with your platform. Isaac Kurt still uh, doing a a lot of things in town. And you're uh, back home in North Carolina, and you've just opened Prolific Park. I know you've done a lot of things beside that, but I'm – really amazed by and thrilled by what prolific park is. Can you tell us what it is?
4: Yeah. Well, first of all, we didn't just open it. It's been 14 years. Oh, yes, and sometimes yeah. it feels like 28 <laughs> years because it is, it's a lot of work and it's something that, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change for the world. It, it's, um, because it is, it is tough, especially this whole COVID thing. But, um, it's a family fitness center and and sports complex and um my vision 14 years ago was to give back um i think we all have had that mentor in our life whether it was mom and dad or teacher or coach um and for me it was it was obviously mom and dad but more it was it was coaching and it was uh, my high school coach my college coach coach vermil um you know but back early on was when i needed that boot in the butt when i was making bad decisions bad choices um pointed me in the right direction. And and, um, I just wanted to create a platform for young kids, family, special needs um, to be successful and and to learn life skills through sports. And, um, you know, I run my foundation at a prolific park. We scholarship kids that um, that can't afford to play travel soccer or football or travel baseball. So we have everything, every gamut from lacrosse to Travel soccer, J-O volleyball, um, travel baseball to recreational sports, field hockey, basketball. Um, you name it, we do it. Gymnastics. That's um, awesome. But uh, like I said, uh, we have after-school program where parents feel good. I think I grew up in a time where I get on my bike and go. And, um, you know, it's, it's a different different time now. Mm-hmm. And, and I wanted to create a safe haven for moms to be able to drop their kids off and have relationships, meet other kids that they normally wouldn't meet, and and, and have that uh, fraternity of of kids that they get to know that maybe they wouldn't have, and and to learn life skills, to to make up games, play tag, play dodgeball, uh-huh. like nowadays these kids don't play, and and they right. do at Prolific Park. Yeah, that's and, great, and, and form relationships and and learn how to communicate, and um, and it's it's amazing. I get to bring back a lot of former teammates and athletes and we do camps and clinics and different things that, um, you know, we have that, that platform to make an impact in our communities. And, and enough isn't said, you know, you read all the negative stuff that, that happens out there and you don't read about the Isaac Bruce and the Kurt Warners and the different things that they're doing in St. Louis and in Phoenix and LA and Florida, um, there's so many athletes are making a huge impact in their communities, yeah. and, and, um, and that's what I'm trying to do in, in North Carolina. Thank you very much for what you do. One final thing, and I was
5: joking with Michelle last night. It took me like a dozen years to watch the NFL film
4: Super Bowl 36, okay? It took me a really long time. Not over it, but it took I'm me. I'm not long either. <laughs> and that makes you feel good. Yes, I, I don't no. like to, I'm tired of seeing, you know, the whole hands in the face. Oh, yeah,
5: oh. yeah. Uh, but right at the beginning, here's Ricky Prohl oh, during the introduction. Yeah. Oh, to no, you're not going to say that, I am a, I am, eh? I am. I was
4: right, just the wrong you, team. <laughs> that's what I was telling <laughs> Michelle. He says, Dynasty starts that. tonight. And I said, little did you know. What, I, I, <laughs> you I guess, weren't wrong. I, yeah. I, I, no, I catch. I've got friends, not family, but close friends. And, yeah, I hear that crap all the time <laughs> um, from New England. I said, hey, I was right, just the wrong team. But um, I believed it. And, you know, it was one of those things where all of a sudden you turn around and there's a, a – a camera in your face, and it was like that was the first thing that came to mind because I believed it, you know, and, and um, you know, we were it, – it's just uh, we had something special, and, yeah. and really, to be honest with you, probably didn't take advantage of it like we could have. Everybody says that. Everybody we've talked to says that. Yeah. And it's, it's – we compare it to the
5: Cubs who just broke up the 2016 Cubs. They thought they were going to be a dynasty. It's hard to be a dynasty.
4: It is. It is. It's, it's – um you know there's a lot of egos in this business, and it's um you know everybody wants to to make you know their um, their impression mm-hmm. I guess i don 't know the word uh, the right word i 'm looking for, but whether it 's an offense coordinator wants to hey bring his players in or put his system in instead of its if it works fingerprints yeah
6: on everything yeah
4: if it, if it if it works, why change it mm-hmm. you know everybody wants to get credit for their own instead of you know hey you got someone who has got a collection of people here let's keep it going as long as they're productive and as long as they're buying into what you're doing don't change it and um and that's a frustrating thing for me as a coach when I when I went to the other side to hear the things that I heard behind closed doors about different players about different things that I didn't agree with and and sometimes I you know for me I was in a great position as a coach to voice my opinion and um and some people, it didn't set in right, but for a lot, I think they respected that I was willing to put my reputation, My, you know, I wasn't afraid of, hey, if I'm going to get fired, I'm going to get fired, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's why Dave Gettleman and I had a great relationship, Marty Herney and I, because I wasn't in there, you know, i fight for my players, and, and I wouldn't sugarcoat stuff, and, and I think there's too much of that going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, everybody's trying to keep a job and save a job, and, and um, but I do think... Uh, you know, it's kind of like the Aaron Rodgers. We don't know, even as a former player, what really went on. But, you know, Aaron Rodgers, I know one thing, he's a great quarterback. And let's work together and let's, you know, he should have some input. I mean, he's, he's yeah. you know, and, and I don't know the true story. So probably I should probably say anything more than than what I've already said. But um, players want to be involved because they want to win. Bottom you know? line, right. And, and they know what it takes to win, and uh, especially someone like Aaron Rodgers. and. And I just hope as a former player that he is, you know, he's doing it for all the right reasons and, and, and taking a stand. Yeah.
5: Well, St. Louis has a storied sports history, and you have one of the top half dozen iconic moments in St. Louis sports history. And it's great to be able to celebrate Isaac going into the Hall of Fame and that, that you're here, and we, we're thrilled that you took some time with us to reminisce today. Well,
4: it's always St. Louis' is a special place, man. It's, it's home. I always say when I go, I f- what, you know, what does it feel like to come back to St. Louis? I say it feels like home. People treat me great. The fans have always been wonderful. I'm blessed that I played there for five years. I'm blessed that, you know, I got an opportunity to play with Isaac Bruce. He's a special player, a great friend, and, um, and I appreciate you having me. Yeah. Thanks, Ricky. Appreciate it. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks. Appreciate it. Ricky Prohl with us on Character and Smallman
5: on 101 ESPN. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls. Stick around. We are right
0: back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
6: I want to say Emma.
5: Well, here in the radio biz, we have what's called a, a show clock. <laughs> so we're supposed to actually hit commercial breaks at certain times. Supposed to. We, uh, we, we've kind of gotten away from that today, but thanks to Ricky Prohl for joining us and uh, giving us some great insight into Isaac Bruce heading into the Hall of Fame and the greatest show on turf. But right now, it's time for...
6: You're
7: killing me, Smalls.
6: Nice, Emily. Good job. This is going to be difficult when we're on the road <laughs> to pause correctly for the sounder. All right, Randy, some news coming out of the broadcast world. So veteran free agent quarterback Robert Griffin III, RG3, is heading to ESPN. He still wants to play in the league. He has an out in his contract if such an opportunity were to come about. But he's heading to the broadcast booth now.
5: He's a smart guy, and he's an effervescent guy. I just don't know enough about him from a football standpoint to know if he's going to provide analysis or if he's going to be a hot take guy. But I know that... In the past, he's been a good talker. He also has obviously alienated locker rooms in the past. But,
6: but was that his fault or the owner's it fault? It might have been the owner's you fault. You know, I don't know. If, we never know, but it seems like the owner had a lot yeah. to do with that.
5: But I'm intrigued by it because he, he does seem like a likable sort. So uh, I'm interested to see what he does and how he does.
6: You're killing me, Emily. Smalls. There we go. Thank you, Emily. All right. Two notes for you on Justin Fields. We know that Andy Dalton is QB1. Andy Dalton, the Bears are saying he is going to start the season as the Bears quarterback. But Justin Fields is getting high praise. And I'm going to give you some high praise for Justin Fields from two sources. First of all, from Jimmy Graham who said that Justin Fields reminds him a lot of Russell Wilson. Obviously, Jimmy wow. Graham someone who played with Russell Wilson and said that there's some similarities there.
5: That is really good to hear. Now, it, he, it doesn't look like it when he's on a field. Justin Fields is a lot bigger than Russell Wilson. But the skill set, that's a great point by Jimmy Graham. Uh, you, you can see the skill set similarity between the two. And the, the key for Justin Fields is going to be those intangibles that Russell Wilson brings to the table. Does he have those things that provide magic that Russell Wilson provides?
6: Is he going to be the guy yeah. when you need him to be the right. guy? right in,
5: in the fourth quarter. Is he, is he going to be able to come back in an NFC Championship game from down nine with three minutes left to, to win the game for you? Russell Wilson pretty much put a team on his back and did that. and he, We've seen him do it countless times. I wouldn't be surprised if Justin Fields became that guy. I think I've seen it in college.
6: So, Lewis Riddick also saying that he's hearing some great things about Justin Fields. This is a tweet that he had. He said, I'm not going to say how crazy good some of the things I've been told about Justin Fields, the professional, have been thus far. I don't want to hear the quote, it's only training camp brigade puff up their chest and scream at the top of their lungs, but it has been that good. Just saying.
5: Again, the skill set is there, and I hope the Bears are smart enough to protect this guy because they don't have the best offensive line in the world. And... Make sure that he's able to go out and read a defense. And don't, don't put the guy in a position where he's going to throw a bunch of interceptions because you haven't educated him enough about how to read defenses. Give him some time. You aren't going to be a great team anyway. So let Andy Dalton play a couple of games, get beat up behind that offensive line, and allow Justin Fields to walk into an ideal situation.
6: Yeah, don't throw him in before he's ready.
5: No, there's no reason to. We've seen so many quarterbacks that have run into that situation. And usually when you get picked number one, it's by a bad team. Well, sometimes the smart play is to let that guy sit until you improve the cast around that guy.
6: Yeah, because the expectations, as soon as he goes out onto that field, are going to be sky high.
5: Through the roof.
6: Almost... To an unfair point. And
5: especially in that town. It's, it's a time. Bears town, and they're starving for victories, and everybody thinks, everybody, every Chicago fan, thinks that Justin Fields is their answer to their long-awaited quarterback problem.
6: I was going to say, not only are they so hungry and desperate for winning, they're hungry and desperate for their quarterback. Yeah. Even when Jay Cutler was the guy, you still didn't feel, if you were a Bears fan, like he was 100% the guy. You didn't have that... We have our Aaron Rodgers or our Tom Brady under center. It was, Jay Cutler's good. There's a lot of talent there. But, you know, there was the smoking Jay Cutler memes. And I'll never forget him on the exercise bike on the sidelines. There there was always that he's good, but with Jay Cutler.
5: And this guy is also coming on the heels of Trubisky, which provides a little bit more pressure, obviously, for the organization. But the fan pressure is going to be great, too, because I don't think... I don't know if anybody was really thrilled by Trubisky from the start. They're thrilled by Justin Fields.
6: And not only were they not thrilled by Trubisky from the start, but they could have had Deshaun.
5: Exactly.
6: You you really mortgaged a lot to be Mitch Trubisky's home. Yeah. And his landing spot, and it didn't work out. No. You're
7: Emily? killing me, Smalls.
6: Thank you so much. Also, we want to hear from you. We're celebrating Isaac Bruce today. We're going to do that next segment. So please send us your your mic drops. You can download it on the 101 ESPN app. Just tell us your favorite Isaac Bruce memory or what it means to you, even though we have a complicated relationship with the Rams and the NFL, to watch someone who was such a great figure in St. Louis sports history get this honor this weekend. You can also send us text, 65780, but we're going to get to that next segment. But before we do that, Randy, Notre Dame, their home football opener in 2021, it is going to be broadcast exclusively on Peacock, their game, versus Toledo on September 11th, which is NBC Universal Streaming Service. It's not going to be on the traditional NBC. And I wonder if this is something that we're going to see in the future, where these networks who know that they have these exclusive rights to teams and that it's going to be something that's going to drive a lot of traffic, are going to make things exclusive on a streaming service because they want people to pay for it.
5: Baseball has gone to Facebook and now YouTube for certain games. There have been NFL Sunday morning games on Yahoo, and there will be more. I, I would guess that eventually we'll have NFL games exclusively on Amazon. My question is, is anybody going to buy Peacock and s- sign up and register for Peacock to watch Notre Dame and Toledo? Now, <laughs> if it's Notre Dame and USC, maybe people feel differently. But that certainly doesn't move. The, the, I love the Toledo Rockets. They gave a scary Pinkle. Sure. But. They don't move the needle enough for me when I already have Netflix and I have HBO Max and I've got uh, ESPN Plus. I'm not going to buy Peacock also just so I can see Notre Dame and Toledo.
6: Love Notre Dame. Go Irish. Like I said, I have a personal connection to the program. Have some friends there now, friends that went there. If I didn't buy Peacock to watch The Office, I'm not going to watch no. it to see Notre Dame, <laughs> Notre Dame and go. Toledo. No disrespect. There's just
5: too many streaming services to have them all, aren't there? We have Hulu, too.
6: I got to tell you, I did this the other day where I was going through my finances, and I, I thought, okay, so I don't have traditional cable, but I, I still have this service, that service, this service. I end up paying more up, per yeah. month. So... But if you're a diehard Notre Dame fan, you're gonna buy it.
5: You know what? I just assume go to the game, <laughs> so I don't get stuck with Peacock for a year. And I'll just I'll find a way to get to Notre Dame and watch it.
6: What if it's in a away game?
5: I'll go to Toledo. You'll figure it Even out. Even easier. <laughs>
6: <laughs> All right, Emily, you're killing
7: me, Smalls.
6: All right. So Nick Sirianni, Randy, <sighs> the Eagles head coach. What? Poor guy. Oh, oh, why? Just because of the state of the Eagles? Yeah. Well. Yes, it's not great. It seems like talks are heating up between the Eagles and the Texans on Deshaun Watson, too. That's been a rumor that's out there. Poor guy. (laughs) but he had an interesting quote he was talking about how his team needs to have a tough and attacking mindset listen to what he said his message to his team is he said we need to stay focused on the day and improve just one percent each time out and move on from there he said my message to the team is very clear we attack every day it's a climb and we're attacking every day we like to even break it down further than that we're not only attacking every day we're attacking little parts of that day right The players right now are attacking rest. The coaches, when we're done here, I'm going to go up with the offensive staff and we're going to watch the tape, and we're going to attack the crap out of the film. We're going to attack the meeting room, right? Then we're going to attack the walkthrough, and then we're going to attack the meeting room again.
5: I want to attack that training table. In Philly. I I always, when I went to training camp, that's what I, and I attacked some rest at times, too.
6: Is that just a fancy way to say they're taking a nap?
5: They're taking power naps, though, but they're really attacking it.
6: They're attacking it. Okay.
5: So it's a, a powerful nap. They're
6: napping with ferocity.
5: I don't think anybody can do that on a regular basis. I don't think you can spend every waking hour attacking. I think sometimes you have to do it, some things in moderation. Like, don't attack the crap out of, Film watching. <laughs> just moderation, it's training camp. Just watch the practice and see what you get out of it.
6: How do you attack film? It's gonna be the same every time. You I, can't you can't watch film any more aggressively. You're it's just you sitting there watching.
5: But I think you can, Michelle, and here's the key. You have to use the Dan Campbell method with his two what what are his two oh, venti two uh,
6: venti iced coffees with two shots of espresso. Yeah,
5: that allows you to really attack watching film.
6: (laughs) If you're consuming the coffee that Dan Campbell, the head coach of the Lions, is you're attacking sitting, you're attacking breathing. Yeah. You're attacking every ounce of your day. You're right. So maybe in response to Dan Campbell's He's had several quotes about this, mm-hmm. how uh, intense he is and how intensely he approaches everything in life. Maybe the Eagles are trying to take a page out of that book.
5: That might be. But, and they better be intense. They better attack because that's the only chance they have.
6: It's interesting, though, because we just talked to Dick Vermeil and we talked to Ricky Prohl about the approach that head coaches have. And Dick Vermeil was a notoriously... Uh, intense coach when it came to practices. And while, yes, it got the Rams to a certain level from a training perspective, he had to scale it back, and that's the year that they won the Super Bowl, and players appreciated that. exactly. And so I wonder, especially now, in today's world, if you're a head coach and you're preaching attack, 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 24-7, if that's going to wear on guys.
5: There is a big difference between what attacking is on a practice field in 2021 as opposed to 1997. You can't hit anymore. Mm-hmm. And you only have... I remember Jeff Fisher telling me that... It, and I think it was the last year here in St. Louis. He said he had exactly half as many practices in training camp as he had had in his last year with the Titans. I think it was something like he had 42 and 21. in 42 in Tennessee, 21. Not that it helped in St. Louis. But <laughs> they weren't allowed to practice anymore right. because you can't do two-a-days. Basically, you can't do two-a-days. So you can't attack as much
6: the way that coaches approach motivation and philosophy are so fascinating to me because you have sirianni saying attack 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 but phil jackson took the zen approach we're going to meditate we're going to sit in a we're going to do breathing together and it can work both ways you just have to make sure you have the right approach that lands with the collection of players that you have
5: well and look at the way that Belichick does it, just with the curmudgeonly, you know, do, do that right. And it's, you know, but he also he gets, a, they attack a film session and he says, they're watching a the game. He says, you guys aren't celebrating enough together. You guys got to cheer for each other. You know, that kind of stuff.
6: Yeah. So. It's different. Different approaches. Dif- yeah.
5: I, I don't, I have very little confidence in Nick Sirianni with all due respect. I hope he does well.
6: Is it his approach you don't have confidence in or the, the players on the team? The
5: organization. I agree. Is really lacking. They should have done better than him. They well, they they had better than him. So that's the way it goes.
6: But we don't know until we see him. That's right? true. Until we yeah. see the full the full season. I'm going to get the update on Deshaun here as we're sitting here. Okay. Uh, apparently, they the Texans have engaged with the Eagles, but that they still want too much for him. The asking price is still too high. That'll come down. This is from. Yesterday, according to Jay Glazer, he said that the Texans have stopped returning phone calls from teams interested in Deshaun Watson because they are sick of getting lowballed.
5: Take it or leave it, he starts opening day for the Texans.
6: We're getting close. Yeah, it's we a, are. It's the Hall of Fame game was last night. I am going to take it because if they've stopped, even though they were motivated to move him based on everything that they're dealing with right now, if they've stopped taking phone calls, they probably already made a decision. Yeah. And he's a, he's a good player. He's got a complicated life situation right now.
5: I'll say. <laughs> uh, I didn't know how to couch that
6: nicely. Things that he's alleged of doing. He could be in some pretty big trouble. Um, and if you're the Texans, I would imagine you would want to cut your losses while you can. At least get right. something for get him.
5: something. Because
6: something.
5: you're only going to get low ball because it's a risk. It, if you're risk averse, there's no way that you engage Deshaun Watson with your organization.
6: And not only that, the Texans are not going to win this year. So why why would you want to keep Deshaun around when you could get something for yeah. him if you know he's not going to be the guy for you long term?
5: Yeah, you might as well... As they say, rip off the Band-Aid with that one.
6: That's right. Yep.
5: Thanks, Michelle. You got it. Coming up, we want to hear from you, your favorite Isaac Bruce memories. And then at the top of the hour, former Rams president of football operations, Jay Zygmunt, will join us. And at the bottom of the 10 o'clock hour, we're going to talk to DeMarco Farr. We also have Peek or pick coming your way. So a lot more coming your way from Canton. Our celebration of Isaac Bruce headed to the Hall of Fame with character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the character and Smallman podcast on
0: 101 ESPN.
3: One of my favorite greatest show on turf moments wasn't a Bruce moment, but it was just so much fun. I think it was Monday night football with the Broncos. Uh, Hakeem and Holt running down the field side by side. Uh, a track meet, I think uh, they called it. <laughs> Great moment.
2: Let's go, Brew!
5: That's awesome, and that was a fantastic memory. The opener after the Rams had won the Super Bowl against the Denver Broncos, a 41-36 victory for the Rams, and that's the first taste we got of that 2000 Rams defense not being so great. But, man, there were so many great moments from the greatest show on turf, and that was absolutely one of them.
6: What was your favorite moment from the greatest show on turf?
5: And, and you put Kurt on the spot, right, with the, with that question. He said, oh, there's so many w- Isaac moments. For me, as as awesome as the Super Bowl win was and the tackle, the, the moment that uh, caused me to hyperventilate <laughs> was that first play, first offensive play, first playoff game at home ever in St. Louis against the Vikings. And you just knew, well, I knew because the coaching staff was so transparent and on the call, John Madden said, Hey, this is what Coach Verbil said was gonna happen and they called the play. And Marts had told me what the first play of the game was. They they'd worked on it all week long. So I knew what the play was. And then subsequent subsequently we found out that Isaac had left his ankle braces back at Rams Park and there was a police escort with the Rams equipment guy 95 miles an hour down 70 to Rams Park to get his ankle braces and then coming back and he scores on the first offensive play of the first postseason game ever in St. Louis it was just unbelievable and the place just went bananas and I I still have a great picture uh, Sports Illustrated picture from that and that was that was my favorite Isaac Bruce play. As much as I love the Super Bowl play, which is number two, obviously. And then Michelle, that San Francisco game we've talked about with everybody. We were so convinced because we were tailgating big time at that point. They yeah, were, of course. They were four and zero five. I guess they were yeah four and zero. That made them five and zero. Uh, and so I went out and made sure that I got champagne, and had it on ice for after the game because we were so sure. So we're out there clinking glasses after the Rams beat the Niners after that that first win against the Niners in 18 tries.
6: I love that you talked about that first playoff game and you you dubbed it the hyperventilation moment. Oh, man.
5: Because I I misty-eyed. I was thinking about it now. I do.
6: When the Blues were in Game 7, Stanley Cup Final, and Alex Petrangelo scored the second goal in the first period. That was my hyperventilation moment. I thought I was going to pass out. I had to sit yeah. down because I couldn't breathe. And that's yeah. when you realize your team is capable of doing it and yeah. you're on the precipice of doing it. And it's that is the best feeling in the entire world. It it's is. why we suffer through the pain. It's why we stick with teams and buy tickets and watch the games when they're not good. It's to get to that moment, the yeah. hyperventilation point.
5: Yeah, when you can hyperventilate and get misty-eyed and start crying – because of good things? <laughs> yes. That's, that's pretty cool. Let's get a uh, mic drop on 101 ESPN. This is John. Thanks for joining us.
2: Mine is not a single memory, but the fact that Isaac Bruce was ours. He was the greatest wide receiver of his time. He was the, a member of the greatest offense that ever played in the NFL. The Rams brought us such joy and excitement at that time. And Isaac Bruce was the first member of the greatest show on turf. We loved him.
6: That is so true. Yeah. We have a complicated relationship with the NFL and especially with the Rams. And this weekend is really bittersweet because we're remembering all of the good times. But the one thing the NFL can never take away from us, the one thing Stan Kroenke can never take away from us, is that the greatest show on turf is ours. It's St. Louis's. And Isaac will always be our guy.
5: And... Ricky Prohl played in the Super Bowl with the Carolina Panthers and obviously played with Peyton Manning with a great offense in 2006 with the Colts. And I, I said that it was my opinion that we saw the best that the NFL will ever have to offer, and he agrees with that. And most people that were around that team agree with that. So you're right. They can take away that team, but they can't take away those memories. Nobody else will ever have what we had.
6: But it is bittersweet to think about that. It really is. How about this one from the 314? My favorite Isaac moment is a weird one. First game is the St. Louis Rams that go to Green Bay and win largely because Isaac blocked a punt.
5: Blocked a punt and then scored a touchdown on the very next play. Amazing.
6: From the 314, my favorite greatest show on turf memory in general, not Isaac specific, is that this is the only team I have ever watched and knew they would win.
5: That was so incredible. Once they got going and they would, on the road, go out... And so you have uh, 45 players. That, uh, so it's 53, but you couldn't play eight. You have 45 players that are gathering in such a tight circle so everybody can fit on the opposing team's logo at midfield. And then they jump up and down on it. Oh. It was just, it, it was so cool. And they knew they were going to win, and we knew they were going to win. Let's get to another mic drop. This is Mike Dez on 101 ESPN.
7: So my greatest memory with guys Bruce is when he was going to San Francisco at the playing with the Rams... Oh. Uh, I saw him at Earth City, uh, you know, as a kid or whatever, and he was, you know, like, hey, can I get an autograph? So he was going to sign it with um, his Rams number, but he said, oh, I don't play with the Rams anymore. I'm a 49er now, and I don't have a number yet. So he scratched his number out and just signed his name.
5: (laughs) He's the best. He's such a nice guy.
6: Absolutely. But he could always have number 80. Always number eight in our number hearts, 80. right? Yep. Uh, this is a good one from the three one four, Randy. My best Isaac Bruce memory. My first Halloween costume. I remember it was nineteen ninety. I was Isaac Bruce, being born in oh. ninety one. I only knew the Rams, and I had a Bruce jersey, the gold pants, and a plastic Rams helmet.
5: Doesn't get any better than that. I've only owned two jerseys that I really cared about in my life. The first one I ever got was an Isaac jersey, and the second one was a Kurt jersey. I bought an $18 Sam Bradford jersey from one of those Chinese companies that sells rip-off NFL merchandise. And then one time I got a Kyle Turley, because I was Kyle Turley for Halloween, and I got a a big blonde (laughs) wig and stuff. But the only two that I really cared about were Isaac and Kurt.
6: Those are two pretty good ones to have.
5: That's Michelle. I'm Randy. We're going to get to Jay Zygmunt next. Uh, And then after Jay, should we talk to Tori Holt? He just texted me. And if we want to talk to Tory Holt, we can.
6: I would love to talk to Tory Holt we today. We will
5: do that as well. Jay Zygman, Rams former president of football operations, joins us next on 101 ESPN.
0: We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
2: No one could see the team coming. No one could see Kurt Warner coming before the stadium. Warner! A- <laughs> Ported, checked in, that's Ryan Tucker. Number 50 who made the touchdown catch. Yeah, we were in practice on Friday and they were throwing it to Ryan Tucker. And he's a backup offensive lineman. A couple weeks ago he played left tackle for Orlando Pace. And I was watching that and I said, oh, they just do it in practice to make them feel good to have some laps. And I'll be done because they didn't do it the game. Everybody scores this offense. Everybody. Defensive of end, defense, tackle, running back,
1: tight end. Yeah.
2: eligible again he caught a touchdown pass the last trip down this Watch. time he's lined up on the left Touch 50 he's a weapon he'll be double 50. Touchdown pass that's rolling with him like shooting ducks in the barrel and like I said whatever that thing is that you get in Kurt Warner is in it. It's a spectacle it's a it's a, it's a spectacle.
5: So great to hear the memories of the greatest show on turf as we celebrate Isaac Bruce's induction into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And one of my favorite people from Rams Park is Jay Zygmunt, who joins us now here in Canton as we get ready for the Hall of Fame. The former president of football operations. Great to see you. How are you doing?
9: I'm doing great, Randy. It's uh, really exciting to be here and uh, so happy to see that Isaac's going to get his turn.
5: And... You would always, one of my favorite lines that I always, when we talk about baseball, you would always tell me, especially after the Super Bowl, you'd say, it's hard to win a game in the NFL. We won a Super Bowl, but it's hard to win a game. And to collect four and maybe five offensive Hall of Famers is pretty amazing.
9: It's I mean, it's simply incredible. And I'm not a student as much of the Hall of Fame as I probably should be, but I do remember some of those great uh, Steeler teams that had a, Uh, you know, some incredible Hall of Famers and had incredible rosters. But it's really something to see the way this came together. And then when you kind of interweave the whole Kurt Warner story and some of the things that uh, you just can't make up.
6: Jay, tell me what you thought from a talent evaluator's perspective about Isaac Bruce the first time you saw him.
9: Well, actually, we drafted him um, I, when I was with the Rams in 1994, and we actually drafted Isaac. And after the combine, the one thing about Isaac, he always had that slight build. And uh, John Becker, who was our personnel director at the time, um, you know, he just really had fallen in love with Isaac, but he didn't fit the prototype because of just the size that Isaac was. But I remember in, all the, in sitting around in the draft room and in all the meetings, there was so much talk about the skill set that isaac had and the number one thing that i still remember that they talked about all the time was a great acceleration he had in and out of breaks and he didn't lose any speed when he made cuts and it allowed him to get great separation uh, because he was didn't exactly have the greatest 40 time in the world and you think about
5: some of the things that he did and i've actually joked with isaac about this to lead the league in receiving yards when Steve Walsh and Tony Banks as a rookie are throwing to you is a pretty remarkable accomplishment. He did that in 96.
9: Yeah, I mean, but it, like I said he had it, when he had almost 1800 yards receiving and it wasn't like we like I said with all due respect <laughs> to our quarterbacks, we didn't have Tom Brady. <laughs> and it was no it was unbelievable. And what about 119 or 120 yeah. catches? It was it was incredible his performance on teams when we didn't have the talent level that we had uh, in the late uh, 90s.
6: You always hope that draft picks hit. You always hope that free agents that you bring in hit. And the greatest show on turf Rams, that was a collection of talent like we've never seen. Which guy on that team surprised you the most?
9: Well, it has to be Kurt Warner. I mean, it's unbelievable to think not only we have these collection of Hall of Fame players – but the, the most key positions on a football team on the offensive side of the ball to think when you can have your left tackle and now we're obviously we have Isaac in and hopefully, you know, Torrey Holtz on his way. Mm-hmm. But then thinking about it, then you have a quarterback and Marshall is a running back. And, and these were all just incredible players. But I think when you think about the story of what Kurt did and now when you think about like what I hear Indianapolis is going through with Wentz being hurt. And they're trying to figure out what they do or who they bring in. And I can remember, you know, we went through the the lobbying efforts by our personnel department and the coaching staff when Trent Green went down, who's a tremendous person was a tremendous player. But, you know, the ability that, and i am give a shout out here to Dick, who we should be talking about because Dick should be in this Hall of Fame as well, in my opinion. But at any rate, to think that the decision that Dick made at the time to go with a quarterback that hadn't started a game in the league and with Kurt is just, what can you say?
5: And you were the cap guy. You were the contract guy at that time. Were you or did you ever think you were going to have to pull the trigger? Let me put it, put it in this uh, vein. Did you think that you were going to call Jeff Hostetler's agent?
9: <laughs> Boy, we, Randy, we had so many names coming up. We had Jeff George. I mean, it was a collection. We had everyone calling because – as you recall, it happened in the third preseason week, and every coach on the offensive side of the ball was, you know, going down the list of players that they had coached and who they wanted to bring in because you obviously can't go with an unproven guy. You have to have somebody. You have to have a veteran. Mm-hmm. And uh, but, like I said, Dick really saved us, and I still think to this day that he never gets enough credit for making that's an incredible decision that Dick made.
5: Another thing with Isaac, and younger people might not realize this, is that Dick's first two years, 97 and 98, they didn't have the best relationship, and Isaac was hurt a lot. Was there ever a point in the front office where you're saying, well, obviously you went out and drafted Tory"? How concerned were you about Isaac's future because of his legs, because of his hamstrings?
9: Well, the year before, I mean, um, I guess it was the 98 season, if my memory serves me right. He had some hamstring issues. But I remembered, you know, Another credit to Dick, uh, he went out and found, literally, we had some hamstring specialists. And back in the day, when you think about now, that's probably not that unusual. But to think about back then uh, what he did. And, and again, I mean, the transformation of Isaac. But then Isaac became, uh, you know, the irony of it is, Randy, he became one of the, another great talent and features of, of Isaac was his, his durability. Yeah, right. Along yeah. with his production. And he played; he didn't really miss much time. No. So, but but as you well know, that you know the athletes develop over time, and as they as they mature, both you know physically and emotionally, and meaning training methods and whatnot. But Isaac was very open, and that was the one thing about Isaac, as you well know. I mean, he was he worked. I mean, mm-hmm. he's not here by accident. No, and
5: he was always so matter of fact too. And I guess it goes back to his faith, but. We would ask him, how frustrated are you? And he said, well, I, I, don't, I don't get frustrated. This is just the way it is. It's, it's what I, I'm dealing with right now. And he, he trusted his faith that he was going to be able to bounce back from it.
9: And he was incredible, and he had that great smile. Um, you know, he wasn't, a, and obviously we have the stereotype of the wide receivers in the NFL. And he was the complete opposite of that. He was, he was the proverbial flatliner. I mean, he went about his business. He was very serious about his job, not serious about himself. Yeah.
6: Yeah, we were talking to Coach Vermeil earlier, and he talked about not only having a Hall of Fame players, uh, but Hall of Fame people. And I asked him how important character was for him and how important it was for him to get a certain type of person in the locker room, not just a talented player. And from your perspective, what were those conversations like about not only drafting a player but drafting a person?
9: Well... It was interesting because, you know, as you know, when he took over the the Eagles, they hadn't been in the playoffs in 15 years. And in his third year, he had them in the playoffs, had them in the, you know, in the Super Bowl. And it was amazing because he had this idea of philosophy of what he was trying to build. And he believed if he had solid character people that wanted to work, that had the idea of the team and were willing and had direction and focus that that's really what you needed. And he had told us, and it was hard, and the pains we had to go through, and uh, it wasn't his responsibility. He didn't inherit a Super Bowl team. We did not give him very much talent when he stepped in. But, again, as a credit to him, I mean, he had this focus, and he had a vision, and he stayed with his vision. It never wavered.
5: Jay, do you remember getting the phone call in 99 after Isaac had had the car accident outside of Columbia, Missouri? And he rolled his car, and apparently it was a miracle that
9: he survived. You know, it's unbelievable with Isaac because the miracles for everything for Isaac. But again, everything that happened to him was just another day. And like I said, he was so focused, and it didn't change, and it was an experience, and it was over with, and he was fine. Just like we all in a, you know, you catch... You know, I guess every athlete would dream of catching a 70-plus-yard touchdown pass to win the Super Bowl in the last two minutes. And you know, in the locker room, seeing him right after the game, he, that was the biggest smile I've ever seen him. But I mean, there was no uh, uh, there was no dancing or anything like that. It was it's was just that great, great infectious smile.
6: No bobbing, weaving then.
9: <laughs> uh, no, that was I, I guess I guess they changed the rules after us, but. Uh, <laughs>
6: You know, one thread that I'm pulling from today, whether it's you when you're deferring to Dick Vermeil and giving him credit for things, or it's Ricky Prohl talking about how all of the, the talent on the offensive side wanted one another to have success, it seems like everyone was really collaborative and working in concert with one another. And when you have so many people that are great at what they do, it's really hard to remove your ego. But I think that's probably why you guys were able to be so great.
9: It's, that's a great question, Uh I think what's really interesting about what happened, I think we all were so shocked because we had been struggling so much, and Trent Green had an unbelievable preseason. I mean, we were very excited. We had acquired Marshall. We drafted Tory. We knew we certainly had some good pieces on, on offense. I think what happened, and it certainly wasn't by design, but I think we all were so scared in the trauma of saying, how are we going to play? We don't have a quarterback. <laughs> and I think it was – the focus was, oh, my God, what are we going to do? And then, and we literally, and that old line about playing one at a time, but I remember we opened with Baltimore, and, you know, again, uh, Curt only had one week, one preseason game to to try to get ready, and the the lights go on, and it's live. But it was unbelievable, so I don't think we had any other choice. We were kind of in this thing all together, and then when Dick made that decision, I think it galvanized everyone, and it wasn't like in – I don't know at what point, like, as we kept playing, and are we really – are we this good? Because we – I mean, we were – let's be candid. We had been a doormat. It had been embarrassing. You know, there was great pressure on the organization, and and we hadn't fulfilled our part of the obligation. Being in St. Louis, we weren't the kind of team we should have been. And, again, I think these things happen. But but trust me, I'll speak for myself, I was as shocked as anyone for what (laughs) happened that year. So, I mean, if you wanted to say that it was some knowledge or we had – Part of a plan, it, it just happened, and we were just very fortunate. A couple more quick things for Jay
5: Zygmunt. Number one, do you have an Isaac Bruce moment, whether it's on the field, off? Uh, you talked about going into the locker room after the Super Bowl. What stands out for you in, in that Hall of Fame career that you spent with Isaac Bruce?
9: This is probably really strange, and it won't be, and obviously when he has all these great plays and incredible statistics and everything he did, but what stands out to me about Isaac is at every training camp, um, and you've experienced this when you've been around camp, Isaac would gravitate and spend so much time with some of the equipment, the ball boys, and the, the kids. And he would go out of his way to go up to kids. And, you know, these kids at their first day at training camp and their eyes are like saucers and they're looking at all these stars. And he would go up to these kids and he would embrace them. And he spent so much time and was always with them and it was just unbelievable that those were the people that, that he spent so much time with, and which is a tribute now when you think of the success of his foundation and what his interests have been. Yeah. But uh, like you always say, he's, he's just simply the best, and you're right. We just had a tremendous group of people and, uh, and obviously led by, uh, by Coach Vermeer.
5: Yeah. And one last thing, because St. Louis football fans are, are taking a lot of heat, you were there in the eye of the storm How good were St. Louis football fans?
9: You know, Randy, you know, I spent a lot of time. I lived there, you know, when I moved in and made the adjustment from the West Coast. And, you know, people are always great to me. And not only when things were going good, but when things were going bad. And uh, and like I said, everyone was great to me. I thought the fans, you know, the fans make an incredible emotional investment in their team. It's that capital. They're vested in their teams. And I understand. I mean, I'm a biggest fan in the world, you know, and I, I know what it's like to, and to feel with the ups and downs, but I always thought that people, you know, were with us, uh, it was, uh, it was very important to them, it was important to me, and I think they had a lot to do, because I do believe at that time, at that 99, that place was pretty electric, that dome was, uh, was, was really something, as you, as you well know, um, you experience it firsthand every Sunday, yeah. their son, but it was, it, was, it was a very special place at that time and with that team. And, uh, again, I do have a lot of empathy f- for fans that lose any when their teams do move around because, again, of the investment that they make in them.
5: Jay Sigmund, great to see you, first of all. Thanks so much for taking some time with us. We appreciate it and enjoy the ceremonies this weekend.
9: Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And enjoy your time in Canada. It's great to be here. And hopefully we'll hopefully we'll be doing this again for uh, Tori Holt and for Coach Vermeil.
5: Yeah, hope so. Definitely. I hope so, too. That's Jay Zygmunt, former Rams president of football operations on 101 ESPN. Speaking of Tori Holt, he'll join us next with character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the
0: character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Water.
2: Queen.
5: The Bob and Weave was invented by none other than Tori Holt, who was a rookie with the 99 Rams and was obviously influenced greatly by new Hall of Famer Isaac Bruce. Tory scheduled to join us momentarily. We were just texting, like, moments ago. <laughs> and uh, so w- we'll make sure that we get our connection with Torrey taken care of. But it is really interesting, Michelle, when you talk to the people associated with this team, the common threads of pulling the rope in the same direction and the, the level of unselfishness mm-hmm. that people on this team have. And you just don't see that with organizations. And this was organization wide. It was not with Dick Vermeil in charge. It was not a situation where you had people going off on their own, whether it was the receptionist or whether it was assistant coaches or whether it was the head coach and players, uh, the people in the personnel department. The magical thing about Dick Vermeil, and he this is why Dick Vermeil could have run any organization. If he wanted to run this hotel that we're in, if he wanted to run the baseball Cardinals, if he wanted to run a bank, he would. Because he understands how to lead and how to get people pulling in, in the right direction, in the same direction.
6: What did he say to us? That you have to make sure that you tell people that you believe in them and that you care for them. You hire really talented and smart people, and then you let them do their jobs.
5: And that's... It's a pretty simple concept, isn't it? Yeah. And so often, and especially we see it in sports, and we saw it with the Rams down the stretch here. Coaches don't want to surround themselves with people that they can be replaced by. Dick Vermeil's first staff in St. Louis had five former NFL head coaches on it. Wow. And – really smart people that were capable of replacing him at any given time. And I'm sure that the Rams were pretty close at some points to replacing Dick Vermeil with one of those guys. But ultimately, it wound up working because he was willing to surround himself with really good, smart people and, excuse me, then let them do their jobs. That's the other part you have to understand is that you hire people to do a job. Don't micromanage. Let them do the job.
6: It was a very interesting point that Jay Zygmunt just made as he sat down with us, Randy, when I asked him about the absence of ego within the organization, within the players. And he said it wasn't really a conscious decision. It wasn't like Dick Vermeil was preaching, there's no I in team. Everyone needs to be unselfish. He brought in a group of people that he thought had a high character. And after Trent Green went down, Jay Zygmunt said it just kind of galvanized everybody. There was that shock factor of oh, no, we were supposed to be really good. What's going to happen now? And I think when something like that happens, whether you do it consciously or subconsciously, you you want to make sure that you're doing your part. And then once they go out there and they start winning, it had to be so fun, and you want to continue on the ride.
5: And having Isaac Bruce and his leadership is a huge part of that. Having a guy like Isaac Bruce buy in to Kurt Warner off the bat mm-hmm. is a, a pretty big deal, and I think that really did – You talk about galvanizing the group. That helped galvanize the group, too.
6: Well, especially if you have a guy like Isaac Bruce, who's clearly a number one guy, clearly, obviously now a Hall of Fame talent, who isn't the diva wide receiver? Who isn't saying, "Give me the ball! I need to get my touches." That is encouraging of all of his other teammates having success.
5: Let's go to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line because another guy like that is a guy who should be and will be a Hall of Famer. Tori Holt, who's on the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line, and first of all, Tori, I always love talking to you. It's great to hear your voice. How are you doing today?
1: we am doing well, Randy. I hope you all are well. Hey, Michelle, how you doing?
6: What's going on, Tori? How are you? So you might not have heard it when we introed you, but we played this great return with the Bob and Weave, and we were just talking to Ricky Prohl about how you were the creator, the brains behind the Bob and Weave. So can you take us behind coming up with that and telling your teammates, this is what I'm going to do. This is our celebration.
1: Oh, wow. It was, um, it it originated. I was a huge mom and Ali fan. So, our St. Louis Rams, our St. Louis listeners, I've mentioned that before of how big of a fan I was of Ali. So after training camp or after practice, I would come home and um, and I would pop in Ali's tapes and I would watch his old fights and his old in- interviews and you know and just watching his watching how he worked the ring and how he bobbed and weaved to dodge punches um, was uh, was intriguing to me and then. I'm also a huge hip hop fan, so um, there's a group at the time by the name of the Lost Boys, and, and you all you all probably are familiar with Buster Rhymes as well. They, uh, oh, yeah. you know, that was that was right. That was a dance, you know, a, a bop that they had when they would dance. That I uh, that I was also intrigued by. So I was like, you know what? Let me let me let me. Um, let me see if I can put something together. And I did. So I would watch myself in the mirror, you know, dance and kind of emulating what, again, what Buster Rhymes and Lost Boys and, and Muhammad Ali were doing. And then I went to practice one day. I went to practice and, and Roland Williams was who I hit up first because Roland was a ton of energy. So he wouldn't, he didn't mind dancing and entertaining and having fun. So I said, man, look, I'm after at after that school, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this dance. And, um, and I did it, and then he ran over and did it. And once the once the veteran guys, you know, bought into it, I knew we had something. And then they was like, well, well, you know, what are we going to call it? And I was like, Bob and Weave, because, you know, Muhammad Ali, you know, Bob and Weave. So I was like, mm, call it the Bob and Weave. So uh, that's that's how it started. And um, and it went from practice to the games, and then you know you look up and it was in. Then the folks in the stands were doing it, and I saw Randy. I think I saw Randy a couple of times trying it. Um, it, it, yeah. became <laughs> yeah, it, became, it became contagious. It became contagious. So that's how the bob and weave. Uh, that's
5: how it started. Tori Holt, what impressions did Isaac Bruce make on you when you got to training camp in 1999?
1: Oh wow, he made a ton of impressions. Uh, but I, I think the one uh, that sticks out the most, and I was just telling the story the other day when I was um, doing an interview, and they was asking me about. We were talking about Isaac. Um, was he? We were. He was dropping a few of us off at our hotel um, after after training camp practice, and someone spilled something in his car. This is this is a you know a, a nice Range Rover. And I can't remember if it was me or who it was, but someone, some, someone spilled something in this vehicle. And you should have seen the look on our face. Everybody's like, "Oh, you know, like, oh, like we was about to get, we was about to catch it." He was like, "Don't even," he was like, "Don't even," he was like, "Don't even worry about it." He's like, "Don't even worry about it. We'll we'll clean that up. I'll get it cleaned up. Don't even worry about it. Let me, you know, let me get y'all to the to the hotel so y'all can get you know get ready for tomorrow." So everybody was like. Oh, okay. Well, cool. Everybody just kind of went back to, you know, talking and, and laughing, but he made it. It wasn't, you know, for him, those was, it was just, that was just stuff. He didn't, he didn't care, care about any of that stuff. You know, he just wanted to make sure that we got, got to the room safely. So that was, that was a very, um, that was a very, uh, humble, humble moment, you know, watching who he was. And, and then, and then to see him go into the practice room, going to the, the going to practice and compete at the level in which he competed and then seeing him in the meeting room, studying, sitting up front, you know, making his notes. And I can count on my hands how many um, mental busts Isaac had during my playing career with him. You know, he was just that intelligent as a ball player. So, you know, it was all those things. It was the competitor on the field, but this his, his overall, his, his humility, his, his, his humility was what stood out most, most to me.
6: Tori, you're you're talking about his work ethic, and I've been reading so much about Isaac the past couple of days, and almost everybody on the team mentions how hard he worked. It seemed like you guys really pushed one another to not only be at a certain level, but to have the same success. Everything you're just saying about him, how he set a standard in so many ways.
1: Yeah, I think too. You know, it, it was really Michelle when, we, when I you know playing with those guys. Everybody, uh, and, and you all have heard this. Often spoken from the guys that participated on that team, we all enjoyed each other's success. We celebrated in one another's success, and we were also competitors. We competed against each other. I wanted to be great every day. I wanted to be great every day. He wanted to be the number one. I wanted to be the number one. That was just a, that's that's as an you can take the names off of it. You can put any name on it if you're competing at that level, you got to have that mentality. But there was also enough, again, enough uh, unselfishness that. All of our players had, um, and then as we're speaking of Ike, he had that um, that was just genuine, that was good, and it was healthy for our team. And I think once we we un- understood that, and everybody was cool with that, we that's why we were able to play at the level that we were able to play at, and not have any bickering and beefing going because we enjoyed each other's
5: success. Future Hall of Famer, Tory Holt with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Tori, you mentioned the off-field thing, the, the car situation where somebody spilled a drink. But what about on the field, whether on the practice field or on, in, in a game? What is the standout moment for you in your mind's eye when you <laughs> think of Isaac Bruce? What is that moment?
1: The, again, the ultimate competitor. When we were in training camp one year, and I think and we were, we were all gearing up to get ready to fight the, fight the defensive backs. You know, and Isaac was was leading that charge. <laughs> so I, I knew right then. I said I, I knew right then that I could rock with him. You know, I knew right then because he competed. He stood up for himself. He stood up for the group, and um, so that's one uh, one thing amongst others that that I remember. Uh, but from that day on, we just competed, Randy. We just competed our butts off. Uh, he again set the standard for what it was, what it should be like. Um, I've always said he's an ultimate competitor, ultimate professional, um, and then the things too that he does off of the football field in regards to the community there in St. Louis and even back in, in in Florida also sticks out to me as well. And he continues to do that. I just that's just who he is. That's just who. That's just his makeup. And uh, and he showed that every single day he came into that room. You know, again, a guy that didn't talk much, but when he played. Uh, you can his play did a lot of talking for him.
5: And, Tori, we were reminiscing with Kurt earlier about that first San Francisco game, the game at the Dome in 99, and you were a rookie, and uh, Kurt was talking about how he was, Isaac was passing along, how important 49er week was, and I was telling Kurt, I got the impression during that week that his demeanor was just different going into that game. <laughs> you were with him every day in receiver meetings. What was it like leading up to that that home 49er game in 99 what was isaac like
1: um i mean from what i can remember outstanding practice certain like you mentioned he was certainly locked in you know i was just getting you know, i'm a rookie so i'm 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 trying to get an understanding of what this what this you know what this robbery means and i'm also trying to make sure that i know my assignment so i don't screw it up on Sunday's. So that's kind of what my mind mindset was. But and then when I got out on the field on Sunday, I was I was able to watch an Hall of Famer receiver uh, really go to work. Um he was he was insanely great that day. Uh it was it, it was a it was uh for me it was a welcome to the national football league type of a moment, watching someone else do their thing that plays my position. Um so I, I knew from that day, how serious the robbery was, and then I also understood what it took uh, to compete at such a, a high level, and I wanted to do just that and more and better. And 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 that all and that all, and that all started with uh, watching Isaac really dominate uh, the forty the forty you know, pretty single handedly. Uh, one of the better performance, performances that I've ever seen from a wide receiver.
6: Tori, Isaac said something a few weeks ago. He was being interviewed, and he said something about himself and about you. He was asked about the best wide receiver duo of all time, and he was asked if he thinks that you and and he were better than Randy Moss and Chris Carter, and he said, yes, you guys are the best wide receiver duo of all time because (laughs) you won a Super Bowl. Tori, your thoughts on that statement?
1: No, I, I when I when I when I've heard that this, this is the first time Isaac did something like this. You know, when we were playing, he mentioned, <laughs> to Tampa, mentioned we were playing Tampa Bay that we were, we were he was guaranteed that we were going to win that game. And they came and said, "Well, what, what do you feel about that?" I said, "Well, we're going to guarantee. I'm guaranteed that we're going to win that game." You know, when the OG, when the OG when the OG speaks, you know, you, you you follow. You know what I mean? Because I know it's coming. I know it's coming from a good place. And um, so, what, what what do you expect for him to say? we are i agree we we are the one of the best duos or best duos in, in the national football league um and again you have to have that kind of confidence you have to carry yourself in that manner if you're going to uh become that so um 100% totally rock with Isaac on that that's my man so I go to war with him any day
5: Tori Holt you have an experience that 99.999% of the people in the world will never have, and that is being a champion on a professional sports team. What's that been like for you when when this group gets back together or texts or you're on a phone call? I have to believe, because most of the teams that I've seen like you, it's like you've never been apart.
1: It's the best. It's, 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 the, it's, the, it's the best, Randy. Um, as you mentioned, you know we text each other. Uh, we call each other. We when we do see each other, like this weekend. you know, everyone I mean, a lot of guys are be seeing each other. It's just like we pick pick right up where we left off. But that, but when you win something as as sacred and as as as, um, as big as the Super Bowl, you're connected for life. Um, because if one thing we can do is when we get back, we can go back to those moments and those moments. Make you feel good, and whatever else is going on in your life at that particular time goes away because you, put, you immediately put yourself in that moment uh, that we all went through. And I remember coach uh, Vermil and coach Martin, and just talking about you know us being in a you know, special place, special time, you know, and, and how important and big this is and to cherish it and to and Coach Vermeil was always big about uh, letting us know it's okay to talk to each other and express how we truly feel. And so when we're when we're around each other, we get an opportunity to do that, whether it's on text or when we get together. Um, so I, I, I love that team. I will always love the team. I love St. Louis. I've always loved the city. You know, you, we, you know. I know we talk at limps about the players, uh, but I do want to spend a few moments and talk about the fans and 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 then that dome every Sunday uh, and how they showed up, good, bad, or indifferent. The excitement that you would see on their faces, the stories that we would get that I get about you know, people being at home in their in their, in their their uh, living rooms ready at 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock in the morning ready for Rams games because, you know, we played at noon. <laughs> so, you know, people would be up, uh, you know, ready and getting themselves prepared for the game because they didn't want to miss it. So they wanted to make sure that they had everything in place because they did not want to get up from their seats. So that's why we did it. That's one of the reasons why we did it because we had great sports fans, great fans in the city of St. Louis. So thanks to all the fans, and I, I hope you all, and appreciate and enjoy the those moments just as much as we do uh, on those group texts.
5: That's very well said, Tori, Michelle, and I really like it here in Canton, and we're going to be here when you get inducted.
6: Yes, confirmed.
1: That sounds good. That sounds really good. So let's <laughs> that's, let's that's, that's, uh, <laughs> uh, let's uh let's keep praying and hope and hoping for the best. I hope I'm there one day.
5: Yeah, we do, too. Tori. thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it, and uh, can't thank you enough. Love you. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Randy. I appreciate it. Michelle, take care, love.
6: Thank you. Talk to you, Tori.
5: That is the great Tori Holt on 101 ESPN. All right, coming up, we're going to try to uh, connect with our buddy DeMarco Farr. He's actually on a layover in Denver, making his way here to Canton, so hopefully we'll be able to get to DeMarco next on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the character and Smallman Podcast
0: on 101 ESPN. Now steps back, rolls left, rolls right, and bad trouble back at the 40. He gets away somehow. Fires downfield, there's
7: Dyson. Dyson at the timeout. We had just played eight snaps of, of gung-ho, balls-out football, and that was all we had. Everybody was out of gas.
0: Hey, who know I think You went out of the game with 26 seconds to go? You went out of the game with 26 seconds to go! Jade. Back up! Woo!
10: Back up! And he looked at me right after he said that, and I about threw up on him. Really, I, I couldn't watch.
2: All right, guys, last play
10: of the game! McNair will work out of the shotgun. The first thing on my mind was, please don't run. Because if he runs, there's nobody out there that's going to catch him. When he let that ball go, there was a sense of relief. My God, thank you. We got a shot.
0: McNair drops. Throws. throws right side for nice and-
2: to the west is now the gateway to the best football team in the world see
8: that?
10: Oh, seeing that trophy was like meeting a celebrity you know you see him on tv but here it is right here and you get to touch it and it, and it's yours How many you me some stress we got the trophy
2: now you're here Ah. <laughs>
5: That is from the NFL Films America's Game. And conveniently for them and for us, part of what wound up on the cutting room floor is that when I uh, when DeMarco Farr left the game, he never missed a snap because there was a timeout. So he never missed a play, but uh, you're leaving the game with 26 seconds left in the Super Bowl. That, di- that <laughs> did land there. And our friend and uh, part of the brotherhood of the greatest show on turf, DeMarco Farr, is with us now from the Denver airport with Kara and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Good morning, sir. How you doing?
10: I'm good. Good morning. Randy, Michelle, man, it's good to talk to you guys. That, that always makes me laugh. You were on the game with 26 <laughs> seconds to go? <laughs> Ramil was losing it. Hey, I, he I, was losing it.
5: Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> and, and thank goodness that the Hall of Famer had caught that touchdown pass oh. to put you guys ahead by a touchdown, right?
10: Yeah, man. Uh, just – You know, going through all the memories and and reliving everything and just coming back to the fact that Isaac is going in, um, it's the coolest thing ever. Uh, It's something that we talked about a long time ago back in 1994. It was a throwaway conversation. We wanted to leave as champions. Uh, We wanted to leave with gold jackets. Well, I'm glad he's getting his. I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see all the guys. This is going to be so much fun. I'm heading to Cannon right now. I mean, I'm in the middle of the, the Denver airport shouting at the top of my lungs that I could care less. I'm just so happy. I can't wait to get there. <laughs>
6: <laughs> we can't wait to see you, D-Far, and it's always so great to talk to you. Tell me what it was like in practice when you guys would sit there as a defense and look at the offense that you had watching guys like Tory and Ricky Prohl and Isaac and think, man, someone's going to have to try to stop them.
10: Well, that was fun. You know, I mean, it was good to see those guys out on the practice field, Michelle, because – Randy knows, in years prior, we were looking at our offense like, oh, my God, here we go again. (laughs) Ninety snaps a game. They're going to be running the football all day long. But, yeah, man, I mean, seeing, you know, Isaac was always Isaac. And then getting Tory, getting Orlando, getting Ricky Prohl, Marshall standing behind Trent Green that gave way to Kurt Warner. I mean, you know, we we felt like we actually had a shot. Uh, But just going back to Isaac, we would always – You know, he'd rally his guys on offense. You know, I'd be with my guys on defense. But in those quiet moments, we would always talk about the shape of the football team and where we were and where we were headed. And that year, we kind of felt like, okay, this is the time we're going to make the playoffs. We're going to get in the big dance. And then if we get into the big dance, we can beat just about anybody because we were close. We were beating playoff teams when we stunk. So if we actually have a pretty good football team and we can keep that same mentality, man, we can go all the way. And sure enough, we
5: did. Hey, DeMarco, I want you to tell people the story about 95, when Isaac was your only offensive player and you would stand on the sidelines <laughs> when, you were on, when you weren't on the field.
10: Man, it was rough. It was terrible. Um, but Isaac was our only weapon on offense. And, you know, we were bored on defense. So when we finally got a break, we would stand out there and watch the offense go and shout at the other defense just having fun. And like, hey, look, there's no one else out there. We're going to throw it to eighty. Hey, back up. We're throwing it to Eddie. I told you. We're throwing it to Eddie. (laughs) He's getting ready to run a slant on you. I told you. (laughs) You know? So we used to have have a blast just doing that. And Isaac would do it to us. He would stand up. And this was, you know, when we were busy in the middle of a game, you know, he, he had his adjustments to make with the offense. But every now and then, he would stand up and come to the defensive side of the field and stare at us because he knew what we used to do to them in the offense, you know? So he would challenge us, okay, we gave you the lead. This is uh, pre-99. We gave you the lead. We got a chance to win. Now it's up to you guys on defense to put up or shut up and make a play. You know, he wouldn't say say much. He would just stand there with the towel and stare at us and challenge us. If you're going to shout at us, I'm going to stare at you. Let's make a play. Let's win this game, and let's bring home a victory.
6: Marco, whenever a team's not having the success that they hope to have, they always think at some point they'll turn the corner. And here you guys come out in '99, and even with Kurt Warner being an unknown, you guys start to win games. At what point did you think this team is for real?
10: Man, um, that uh, that 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 the soundbite you played. Do they have the part when when you know God rest his soul, Jim Hennepin is talking to uh, Dick Vermeil about Kurt Warner when it, when he says, uh, yeah. "How about that quarterback? Yeah, he's pretty blank and good." that's what we all thought. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, we, we, we knew we had a pretty good football team around, you know, Trent green or or around whatever quarterback we were going to put out there, but you know, seeing Kurt and watching him practice, we knew he was prepared. We knew he wasn't going to go out there and freeze. So we had a chance to be good. I think we turned the corner in camp. I think we turned the corner the day we showed up for camp. We knew it was going to be special especially since we had Marshall back there to go with Torrey, to go with Orlando, and the guys on defense that are, you know, have been battle-tested. We knew we had turned the corner. This was going to be a different season, uh, different than anyone had seen. So we're going to catch a lot of people slipping, uh, Michelle. We really were. Uh, and I loved our battles with the old NFC West rivals like Atlanta, uh, running past them, finally getting past San Francisco, uh, finally shutting up those bums in Carolina from talking all that trash running past them that was
5: we knew in training camp it was going to be that sort of year defar what is your isaac bruce hall of fame moment what what moment that isaac had in a game or a practice or in one of those conversations that you guys had is seared into your mind that makes him a hall of famer
10: so many so many uh i remember isaac Complaining about a quarterback without saying a word. I mean, Isaac was on fire in 94, 95, 96. I mean, the, the Hall of Fame career, uh, the, the thing I'm getting ready to go see, the culmination, the, the gold jacket, that all started in 94, 95, 96, 97. He was on fire. We just didn't have guys to get him the rock. So it was one of those days he was either, it had to be Walsh. Was it Steve Walsh that was there trying to throw a go route and Isaac yep. outran the football and bounced behind him? And we could tell that this guy didn't have an arm. We knew that this was a mistake. We chose the wrong quarterback. All the guys knew. Uh, I'm sure some of the coaches knew, but they couldn't say it then because it was so early. But Isaac outran a fade, and all he did was point towards the end zone, like throw it here and I'll catch it. That I'll never forget because you could tell he was frustrated. Then uh, the next season, there's another one. We brought in a guy named Ryan McNeil. And Ryan McNeil, remember Ryan McNeil, he came in with all this fanfare, and he said he was the next Hall of Famer. Well, Isaac took that to heart and called him out in every one-on-one drill. And I just remember he turned Ryan in like eight different directions and just shouted, compete, compete with me. And Ryan didn't say a word. I'll never forget that. <laughs> and then, of course, all the touchdowns, the, the, the touchdown in Minnesota, uh, going out in the Dome. Seeing Isaac under the stands, like something's wrong with him. So we're, we finally made the playoffs. We got everything we want. We're about to take the field, and Isaac might have a hamstring problem. Oh, no. I mean, that took you all the way back to the bad times. And then, boom, he catches a touchdown pass, extends his arms like saying, thank you, God. That's when I knew, okay, this is it. We're, we've been touched by God. We're going to make it this year. And then the touchdown in the Super Bowl, I'll never forget. There's just so many. And the personal ones, I'll tell you off air.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Hey, I don't know if if this struck you, my man. uh, It's awesome. And and I'm sure that uh, you've thought about this, but you never played a snap of regular season football in the NFL with Isaac Bruce not being your teammate.
10: Nope, absolutely not. Uh, Kevin Carter the same way. Uh, And and they never – they never let me forget it either. <laughs> Every time I see Isaac, it's like we go right back to when we were rookies, and you know we we catch up. We're brothers, brothers for life. Uh, it goes beyond the ring. It, that's something Vermeil said the the day before the Super Bowl. That I just started to think about, Randy. It's you know it's it's you want to win a championship. You 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 want to be the best there is in the game. But this is more than about championships and. The farther we get from it, the more that starts to ring true. Every time I see my guys, every time I see Isaac Bruce, it's, it's, it's more than brotherhood, man. It's, you know, we will be together forever, you know, no matter what. So uh, Isaac going in, I can't wait to hear the speech. Um, Isaac going in, it's like all of us going in with him. So uh, that's going to be something special. Oh, I've got something to bring up. Uh, not to be old school, yes. fast lane radio guy for a hot minute. But there was a, a, a rumor, something about Kurt's induction speech, something that he didn't say, something about Isaac, and that was supposed to be a thing. Have you heard that?
5: I, I had heard that before, and I don't think that was anything. I, I think what happened was I think he got edited there. I, he, oh, he, he had okay. to shorten up because Jerry Jones went for like 30 minutes or something.
10: <laughs> oh, okay. Five people have asked me that this week, and I said, Man, I didn't know that was a thing, and I don't even think Isaac is no. going to worry about that. Isaac loves everyone, no. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, this is going to yeah, be a great does. time. I can't wait yeah. to see everybody, yeah.
5: yeah, yeah we, We're looking forward to seeing you here, and uh, we can't thank you enough for taking some time on the radio. Have safe travels to Canton, and no if we don't see you today, we'll see you tomorrow.
10: Definitely. What colors your hair, Michelle?
6: It's blonde now, DeMarco. You might not recognize me. I, I,
10: we're, we're, taking, we're taking many selfies. I can't wait to see you guys. See you guys soon. <laughs>
5: <laughs> see you, brother. Thanks. Take care, D-Far. That's our, our friend, the great DeMarco Farr, joining us on 101 ESPN. And we can't thank the Fairfield Inn & Suites here in Akron, Ohio. Fairfield Inn & Suites, Akron South, have been so good to us in allowing us to set up and use their uh, facilities today. It's been amazing. All of the guests that we've had, Isaac Bruce, uh, Ricky Prohl, Jay Zygmunt, Tory Holt, Kurt Warner, uh, DeMarco Farr. I don't know if I'm missing anybody. I think
6: that's it. We've had such a show today. It's
5: been unbelievable. Great work back at the station from our producer-engineer, Emily Butcher, and Mike Ryder. Can't thank them enough for their hard work. And always thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show, hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed the celebration of Isaac Bruce heading to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Michelle, this was great. You enjoy your weekend as well.
4: I
6: will. Thank you, Randy. And thank you again to everybody who took the time to join us today. It was so fun to relive those memories. And congratulations to a very deserving Isaac Bruce.
5: Absolutely. For all of us, until Monday morning at 7. Have a great weekend, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, powered by I Promise.
7: Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at bidonline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at Bit Online as well. And don't forget, Bit Online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bit Online where the game starts.
4: Hey, hon,
2: what you doing with your fun? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa.